You're listening to Review and Preview on Facebook Live. everybody. Welcome to Preview and Preview. I'm Tom Scavetta. Join alongside James Montefusco and Kyle Russo, bringing in the new year in style with 2022, commemorating Dan Reeves tonight with the tie. Uh, folks, make sure to go follow us on all of our social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, you name it. Uh, James, putting up the ticker below. How are you? Happy New Year. Happy New Year, boys. Doing quite well. Glad to back with both of you on another year on the show. I'm sure it'll be another great year for all of us, the brand included. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, it's it's going to be a lot of fun here tonight. We have a great guest in store, Noah Dibler coming on the show at 7.30 p.m. from the Sports Box, big Atlanta Falcons fan, also a huge Georgia Bulldogs fan. Congratulations to him. Uh, ooh. We're going to talk about his team in just a few moments. We'll switch to that minimal font there. Uh, There you go. Yeah. Um, But, uh, you know, he's always an interesting guy to talk to. Um, Also remembers, not really remembers, but he was talking to me about Dan Reeves the day he died on New Year's Day. So um, quick shout out to Dan Reeves and his family, Um, you know, sending all our condolences and everything. But, uh, quick announcement. We're, we're going to, you know, we'll, we'll plug this periodically throughout the show tonight, but we have some free review and preview sports merch. And we're going to tell you how you could win that merch. You have to share tonight's show. And again, this is the start throughout the week. Uh, share tonight's show, like our Facebook page, follow us, make sure you're following us on all of our social media platforms and you'll be entered uh, for a chance to win this free long sleeve review and preview sports shirt. Um, it is gray. It's pretty nice. So that will be going on throughout the whole next week. Um, you know, hopefully we get a bunch of people sharing this show and we'll have it plugged out through all of our shows over the course of the week. Um, it should be a lot of fun, but, um, Kyle, how are you tonight? I'm doing well, Tom. How about yourself? Uh, doing all right, doing all right. It, you know, not a good day for our Giants, which we're going to talk about now. Um, we'll also talk about the Jets as well later on and uh, a lot more surrounding the NFL. But let's start with our Giants, 4-12. and Another filthy loss to the Chicago Bears, 29-3, to falling to 4-12 and on the season in Soldier Field, making Andy Dalton look like Superman out there. Um my only positive takeaway from this game, of note at least, is Saquon Barkley having his best game of the season. 21 rushes for 102 yards. Obviously, the Giants' game plan was to ground and pound. 
uh, mm-hmm. due to Billy Price being out, one of the better pass blockers on that offensive line. Uh, unfortunately, Billy Price, uh, his wife had a miscarriage, so uh, Billy Price had to miss the game, and Mike Lennon was not good, just 24 passing yards. The Giants as a team threw for negative 10 yards, two picks, lost two fumbles, accounted for all four of the turnovers, including the first play of the game fumble that was recovered by the Chicago Bears. Uh, Kyle, we'll start with you here. What's going through your mind on that first play of the game? Mike Lennon fumbles the football. Uh, Can we fire Joe Judge yet? Is there enough that, oh, that, that's, that's 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 going on this season to you know approve that? I mean, forget about the first play of the drive. Just again, repetitive game plan is. And then here's another thing too, which I don't even know how it's possible because he didn't even throw the football more than like what four times in the game. We talked about Mike Lennon. Somehow he broke his wrist. Yeah, huh? throwing the ball four times. Yeah, how did he do that? He's out exactly. Anyway, point being is that the game plan once again is it, it's unknown. It changes, but it's unknown what it is. Bottom line is each week it changes to something that's not a winning formula. And I don't know what more is there to be said when you continually cannot put up points on the board, number one, and are losing to a team that is literally not even losing, getting smacked by a team that is literally firing the head coach next week. Like, I I, I don't know what else there is to be said uh, about how bad the situation is right now. Uh, again, I don't know if we're getting into the whole 11, 10-minute tirade that happened after the game in the presser, which literally made zero sense whatsoever, in my personal opinion. Uh, outside of maybe, uh, you know, we're, we're proud of this team, everything else is, comes into real question when you talk about culture. I mean, I understand that, listen, culture is a part of a locker room, but you know what the most important culture is? Winning. The Giants don't do that. They haven't done that in a very, very long time. And as a fan, as a football outsider, if you're hearing this, I don't care that people want to play for you. I don't care that you might be a good guy. Like, when does it come into question? You're getting hired to be a NFL head coach, which is a coveted job, 32 only, and you're a guy that doesn't have any other coordinator experience in in your history as a defensive or offensive guy, and you're claiming that, which didn't even, this didn't make any sense either. Other people, I I get players and I get calls twice a week from players that are no longer on this team that want to be on this team. Why would they want to be on this team? Why? They, we, we, they don't win. They don't compete. Uh, they they don't even score 10 points in a game. Why, why would you want to be on this team? And why are you even bringing up previous players? Talk about the players that are playing for you. What about the players that are on your team right now? Because you're not going to tell me that the way that they're playing, that they would want to play for you. I, I, I don't understand how anybody would want to play for the culture that has been assembled right now in New York. I, I, it doesn't make any sense to me. About the game individually, nothing to really take away from it. Like you said, Saquon Barkley, yeah, I don't know if you guys picked up on it either. Great story because that was where he tore his ACL last year, uh, a year ago. So to do that on the same field is awesome. But at the same time, it's like empty yardage. It didn't even matter. Giants made history, though. Least negative passing yards in NFL history in a football game. Somehow, negative 10 passing yards. Didn't make sense. But that's the only bright spot. Otherwise, I don't. There, there's no positive takeaways with this team. There's no positive takeaways with this game. And I'm really worried for the future of this team because every week, you know, we're hearing stuff and nothing seems to work. So 
and I don't think that any changes are going to be made come the offseason that are really going to dramatically change the impact of this team going forward. So I don't, I, I really don't know. I really don't know. Wow. Well, that was a lot. James, what's your opinion on all this? Obviously, Giants had an awful game on Sunday, but is Joe Judge the only person that deserves blame, like Kyle just said? All around, I think everybody deserves the blame, from the GM to the owners to – I mean, I would blame the defensive defense side, but they were probably gassed. Um, I don't blame the special teams because clearly week in and week out, they show up and score us the only points we can get. Um, I think the, I think the coach needs to take more of the blame. He's the main guy. He needs to stand, step up and take blame. Um, I understand that, you know, you you try to spin it where it's sunshine and rainbows in a sense um, to, to keep not everybody on your side, but to say, listen, it's, it's been a hard year, whatever. But I think after seeing what happened on Sunday um, is an embarrassment only because you know Daniel Jones has been out for quite this long and you can't get up your backup ready in time for this game. And what happened last week and the week prior when Jones was out, I get it when you first you bring in a backup quarterback, he's not used to the system, whatever, but there comes a point in time where you have to start questioning what's really going on in these practices. Is there a lot of um, flubbing going on in front of everybody compared to what's really going on behind the scenes? I don't know. I don't work for the Giants. I don't know exactly what goes on behind the scenes. Um, But I do think Joe, Joe, maybe not Joe Judge completely, but I think everybody in that organization needs to step up and say, listen, we failed as a unit. We failed as a team. Head coach, he's on the field, he's on the sidelines, he's ultimately in his ears hearing probably every play that gets fed to the defense, offense, special teams, the run, whatever. Everybody's getting fed that information, and he had, he is the one that can ultimately say, do it or not, in a sense. And if he's letting this play out, I see it's his fault. Kyle, I see your argument. I see both sides, in a sense. Ultimately, it's a complete unit's fault. I would like the head coach to step up and say, listen, yeah, maybe this Sunday's game was not a great game for us, but ultimately we got one more week left. We really have to see, because the way it sounded, Dave uh, Dave Gettleman is out the door by week 18, or the last game, is that's my full understanding. So it ultimately has to go – we will have to see what happens when the new GM comes in. Is that GM going to like Joe judge and his team? He surrounded himself with, or is the GM going to be like, I want to blow this all up again and start from scratch, which I hopefully not, but it, the front office needs to make a statement. Everybody needs to come together and collectively say, this team was not a product we wanted to put out on the field. It falls on this person, this person, this person. But collectively, we failed you fans this season. That's my opinion. Yeah. Um, you both bring up really good points. My opinion is this. I think Judge deserves another year. I don't think he's completely at fault for this. As a head coach, he's going to take majority of the responsibility, and rightfully so. But the problem is Dave Gittleman has assembled a team that is nearly impossible 
for Joe Judge to win with at this point. We're talking about Mike Glennon and Jake Fromm, two very incompetent quarterbacks, in my opinion. Uh, Jake Fromm, he showed us at Georgia his arm strength wasn't very great. Um, and, you know, I'm a little concerned this Sunday going into the Washington game, but I think Joe Judge deserves to be safe for one more year because of what he's done in the draft. Carl Banks brought up a great point today. Uh, he is good at developing young talent. And out of his first two draft class, everyone who's been healthy has developed very nicely. We look at Andrew Thomas. Uh, we look at Aziz Ojolari. In addition, obviously, Kadarius Tony's dealt with some injuries, but we saw Allerson Smith. Uh, Aaron Robinson has shown signs. Tay Crowder. I mean, we can't just be giving credit to the players and, you know, for coming together collectively. We also need to give credit to Joe Judge in that department. Um, he also inherited a, a big mess from Dave Gettleman, and apparently he didn't have a say, a strong enough say in the Jason Garrett hiring to give any resistance off to Gettleman, which doesn't make sense because Gettleman is giving resistance to coaches on draft picks, which I think is a problem. So I think Joe Judge deserves one year without Gettleman to get this right and nail this offensive coordinator hiring. I necessarily don't enjoy the 11-minute rant that he made, but there was one thing that really stuck out to me, and I'm just going to show this clip here now. And, uh, folks, if anybody has any comments on this, feel free to chime in, but here it is. So this ain't a team that's having fistfights on the sidelines. This ain't some clown show organization or something else, okay? You talk about the foundation built. Some of the things, that, the toughest thing to change in a team, the toughest thing to change in a club is the way people think. You understand that? That's the toughest thing. So I think what he's referring to there is it's not worse. I mean, when McAdoo and Shermer were both head coaches, there was just nothing there. We're finally getting somewhere in that department. But to Kyle's point, you have to win football games, right? It has to translate onto the football field. Mm -hmm. So I don't say that anybody is wrong for thinking that he should be fired. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. My opinion is that I want to give him one more year. I'm a firm believer, unless you really, really suck, which Shermer did. We knew that because he had a previous stint with the Browns where he sucked. Um, and then the same thing goes with uh, the other guy who shall not be named, then I think he deserves at least one more year. Um, but that, that that's kind of where I'm at. I think, like I said, he's been a good manager of the draft. He's done a good job developing talent. Um, and, I mean, I hope Daniel Jones is healthy next year. There, there's something internally wrong with this organization right now, and it stems from John Mara, you know. Um, but people are right. Joe Judge has got to step up, and he's got to be better. Um, I want to win this Washington game. I don't want to tank. I don't want to lose it. I don't want to finish 1-5 and five in the NFC East. But at the end of the day, if we lose, we lose. And if it's another performance like we saw this past week against Chicago, then I may not lose sleep if Joe Judge is gone. It's up to the GM. I, don't, I want this guy to win more than anybody else. But if you shit the bed against Washington, a division rival team at home, in front of your home fans, I don't care who's on the football field. Something has to be said about that. Yeah, that's that's really it. 
I mean, I want Joe Judge to win, not because I want Joe Judge to win. I want the Giants to win, and he's the head coach of the Giants. And if it's some other guy, it'll be some other guy to do the job. But, Tom, in that interview alone, which you just showed, again, things just don't make sense. When, when he's talking about uh, our guys aren't doing fistfights on, uh, on, on the sideline, I assume he's talking about what happened in Washington last week with the Aaron Payne and, and, uh, and, and Allen. You know why they're fighting? Because they know they're great players and they're fighting for a playoff spot. Our guys aren't doing that because they're okay with mediocrity. That's the culture of this team is being okay with mediocrity. I mean, it's not even – that's the thing. They're not competing with Joe Judge as the head coach. That is the biggest thing that you're supposed to bring to the table as a head coach. You are supposed to compete, and they don't even look competitive for for not even five minutes of a football game. So when you're saying what you're saying about culture, when you're saying about – uh, we're a lot closer where we want to be now. When you're talking about building a foundation, what foundation? What culture? Close to what? They're, they're not even. They're not even at five. They're not even close to 500 right now. So what you're saying is that oh, we expect to win another five, six plus games uh, next year and get a 10 win team. And here's the other thing too, which because people keep on saying, well, oh, well, if Daniel Jones was the quarterback. Maybe things would be different. Maybe you'd have another win, maybe two. But here's the thing, guys, especially the way that the playoffs have turned out this year and the way that everybody really knew it was going to turn out is you were going to have to win around nine, ten games to make the playoffs, even as a wild card. The Giants' season, with that being said, was over before the bye week even started. They were three and six. That means they were only able to lose in order to make the playoffs another two games. And you knew there was no shot they were ever beating Tampa. And you knew that they were never going to beat the Chargers, and you knew that they were never going to beat the Dallas Cowboys, especially the way they played in the first time. So that's another three losses to the six. That's nine losses right there. So how was this team ever supposed to make the playoffs? The season was over before we were midway. That's what I don't understand. Again, own it. Just own it. We're not a good football team right now. Well, I need to be better. Everybody I talk to keeps on giving excuses. Why? Why? It doesn't make sense. There's no excuses to be had because people are saying, oh, well, if Daniel Jones was here, it'd be better. Yeah, maybe a game or two, but we'll be making the playoffs. No. So who cares? Would they have a winning record? No. So who cares? You're supposed to do your job, and he's not doing it. And when you go on the 10, 11-minute tirade that he went on, it's because why? He's feeling the pressure, and he's breaking. And he's breaking because he's been talking since day one with there's an expression, champagne taste with beer money. He's been talking like Bill Belichick, but coaching like Adam Gase. Like that, that's not you can't do that. You can't continue to talk like you have the level of skill and the resume put together when you don't. And that's understandable, that's fine. But please do not continue to talk like that because you're only burying yourself when you have no wins. You have 10 wins in two years. And Tom, you're talking about the Washington game. Again, Washington's not a good football team, but we can't scratch 10 points. How, how are we winning a football game? You're not. You're just not. So, and again, last thing before I end, they're not competitive. They're not competitive. That's the biggest takeaway is they're not competitive. So how do you expect me to have faith in you or want you back when you were leading this football team that barely is putting up a field goal? Per game, you have the Seahawks and the Patriots each scoring 50 points this week. 
The Giants have 49 points in the last five weeks. They're not competitive, and that's on Joe Judge. I think it's on everybody. I think at this point, I, I don't even know who to point a finger at. Um, I, I think when we look at the beginning of Bill Parcells' tenure, everybody wanted him fired after year number two because he only won 12 games as the Giants head coach. And, yes, you could say, oh, well, the win improvement from three wins to nine wins from year one to year two signified something. Parcells had a good roster in year number two, and they went nine and seven. Everybody wanted him gone. He came back in year number three and proved himself. I want Joe Judge to have that opportunity. The problem is that it's gone backwards in the win department. Uh, granted, three of our captains are on season-ending IR, and I don't necessarily say that's Joe Judge's fault. It's not. I, I think it's more Dave Gettleman's fault, and I think that's why he's getting the boot and not Joe Judge. I respect people's opinions if they want a clean house. Pers- me, personally, I'm just not for it because I really, really like this guy. There's something about him that makes me want to give him a third year. Um, James, I know you're kind of more moderate on, on this topic. Um, I'll let you have the final say here and then we'll, we'll move, we'll move on to the jets, but it seems like he's coming back, but nothing is ever guaranteed in football. And that's why we play the games. Yeah. Tom, I actually like how you said it more that like the moderate in between both of you, like I see both arguments. Mm-hmm. Um, he ultimately needs to show us, the team also needs to show us a fight against Washington. They need to put up more than three points than, and more points than 10 from what they've been putting up in weeks past. I'm sorry. It's just a disgrace seeing them only score three points against the Bears and then flip to Fox and seeing what the Jets are doing to Tampa, which we're going to cover soon. Um, ultimately, nobody's ever safe in the NFL unless you're like Bill Belichick, unless you're like, you, you know, the top guys in a sense, nobody's ever safe with the, with the losing records, the losing team. Joe judge doesn't have that losing mentality, but ultimately time will just have to tell it really, it it's ultimately the, the whole organization needs to sit down and figure out what the hell is going on with yeah. every spot from QB to defense to special teams to front office to head coach to GM, they all need to sit in a room and figure out exactly what needs to happen. Because they, I, I'm sorry, us three can't be having the same conversation in October, November, December, and January and February of next year, too. It right. either needs to be a brighter spot or not. And whether that starts with the owners to the GM on down, front office needs to sit down and have a deep conversation with themselves. And figure this shit out because as us three sit here, not happy about it. There's plenty of other fans not happy about it, but I'm sure that organization, the people that work for that organization probably aren't very happy either. Seeing Noah, team, Di- you know. Noah Dibler in the comments section saying, "Woo, little Ric Flair right there. Uh, James, I do agree with what you're saying. There, there's a lot of internal stuff that has to go on. Yeah. Thanks, Paul. Joe Judge is an interesting guy. Uh, that he is, but I support him. I'm not afraid. Uh, I know I'm in the minority, but I won't back down. Um, I won't cave in. I think the media has made him a little bit unraveled this way. Um, I think 10, 20 years ago, he, he wouldn't have went on that 11 minute rant, but when the media wants you to lose your job, they've wanted Joe judge to fail since the second that he's walked into the fucking door. 
then he has every right to go on an 11 minute rant. I wouldn't have done it, but I can't really blame him for it. Uh, the the media is making this out to be way more serious of an issue than it is, in my personal opinion. Um, but um, yeah, he he is an interesting guy, very very old school mentality. But moving on to the Jets, the Jets almost beat the Tampa Bay Bucks, but Tom Brady comes up clutch late. However, the Bucks were missing JPP, Shaq Barrett, Leonard Fournette, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, not one hundred percent on a hamstring. Ronald Jones left the game with an injury, and Tom Brady still finds a way. Guys, um, all due respect to the Jets, Robert Sala, Zach Wilson, Braxton Berrios for putting on a show on Sunday at MetLife Stadium, but Gronkowski stepped up. Cyril Grayson had 80 yards in the game-winning touchdown, and that's why I think Brady is the MVP over Aaron Rodgers is because of plays like that. Literally lost his whole team. And still found the way to win on the road against a competent Jets offense. And why is the Jets com- why is the Jets o- offense this competent? Because they built a good offensive line in front of Zach Wilson. That's finally healthy. That's why Braxton Berrios is looking like he's not looking like an All Pro, but he's looking like a really good wide receiver. It's not like he's had Corey Davis available. It's not like he's had. Denzel Mims available much of the season either, but he has been really Elijah Moore is on IR. Why did Zach Wilson have a decent game? His offensive line's given him time to throw, and he's making the throws at least from what I saw. And obviously, with the Bucks' defensive line, uh, two of their big edge edge, edge rushers being out. Uh, but before we get to Antonio Brown, Kyle, what did you think about this game, and from a Jets perspective and a Bucks perspective? If you're a Jets fan, you should be really proud of the way that Zach Wilson played. You should be really proud of the way that Robert Sala coached. Even though it's not a victory, this is a stamp mark on his his coaching career on Zach Wilson's rookie uh, season. This was a this was a phenomenal game. I mean, you know, you can talk about the offensive line, but when you have nobody out there to throw to, you know, that's all that that's all him. That's all him. The run game came together. I mean. Braxton Barrios, you have as the leading receiver. Next is Ty Johnson. Next is Kenny Yaboa. After that, Kevin Cole Sr., uh, Keelan Cole. You don't have Crowder, Mims, Elijah Moore, Corey Davis. Those are literally – you don't have Ryan Griffin either. That's literally your five top guys, and he managed to make it work. Why? I mean, again, talk about offensive line, coaching. Now, ultimately, what lost them the game – was coaching because they should have won this game in the fourth quarter. I have no problem going for it on fourth and two, but two yards away, why are you doing a QB sneak? Uh, That didn't make any sense to me. It made zero sense to me whatsoever, especially knowing that Tom Brady gets the ball back. He's going to win the football game. If anything, if you want to have some sort of, you know, confidence in your team, at least kick the field goal, make it a seven point game, make him go get the touchdown. Fine. But a QB sneak on a 4-2, not a smart call. That was a very bad call, and that's what ultimately lost them the game. But again, you know, Tom Brady does Tom Brady things, and he makes do with what he has week in and week out. And granted, he's been very fortunate with the weapons that he's had over the course of the last two years. He's had some of the best players in football on his team to represent that offense. He didn't have that this weekend. And again, while people like to joke, oh, he almost lost to the Jets, 
Well, he didn't have much out there, and he still managed to win. Now, Rob Gronkowski, we know, is no joke. But guys that he made, uh, like Grayson and Ronald Jones, he lost as well. Vaughn stepped up. Uh, Brait stepped up. You know, it's next man up mentality. And they they prove it again. And granted, does this win show that they can overcome anything? No. Uh, In fact, it's actually kind of scary to think about the playoffs starting two weeks and they're missing everybody. But this is a good stamp mark game for the Jets. And this is the improvement that when I was talking about it a couple weeks ago when I said that I think the Jets are going to be an improved team next year, these are the type of motions that, yes, Tampa was missing some players, no doubt. But the Jets were in an awful place last year and a pretty awful place to start the season. They had no business being in this game, whether Cyril Grayson was the number one receiver for the entirety of the game and they didn't have Rob Gronkowski. They stayed competitive because they're showing competency and they're showing that Robert Sala can be a good coach and they're showing that Zach Wilson – Again, in a very bad situation this year, can prove that he can be an NFL quarterback. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Uh, So apparently the fourth down play call was supposed to be a jet sweep to Braxton Berrios, but Zach Wilson had an option to keep it, and he decided to keep it. While that's on Salah, that's also on Zach Wilson. I think we can't fully blame Salah, but majority of the blame definitely has to go to him on that play. Uh, as the head coach, offensive coordinator as well. Um, you know, I, I never like to fully blame one person, but uh, yeah, that's a mistake you can't make. And young football team, rookie head coach, James, these are mistakes that are going to happen. But the highlight of this game was probably Antonio Brown leaving in the middle of the third quarter. Bruce Arians said he was no longer a buck after the game. Uh, can you discuss his behavior and just what on earth happened? to Antonio Brown in this game that made him decide to walk away from his teammates, take his jersey off, throw his clothes in the crowd, and leave. It, I mean, we all know as fans and many people around the league and the world know Antonio Brown. I'm not getting into that. I there was there must have been something said along the sidelines that he ain't like because Mike Evans goes up to him and says, "I was like, Bud, I'm dumbing it down and doing it nicely." Bud, listen, you you fine, stay on the field, don't worry about it, shake it off, get back on the field, yada yada yada. Antonio Brown was not having it. I don't know whether it be because they were losing at that point and Brady was getting all. Everybody knows how Brady gets. Like, come on, you know, rally up a team, but also frustrated. I'm sure that frustration led throughout the, the whole bench and whatnot. But the the fact is Antonio Brown acted like a child, plain and simple. That's something a child would do. I'm sorry. You're a grown ass man. You're making millions of dollars. If he had one more touchdown, he would make $33,000. He had one more. If he did this, he, he'd make a whole bunch of money. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. If it was us three, I'm pretty sure we would have held our tongue Yelled at the, in the shower or in the locker room, but held her tongue to make that money. Um, the fact is, he took off his jersey, threw his jersey on the bench, pretty much said deuces um, to the whole entire stadium. Um, t- takes off his Under Armour shirt, throw that into the fan. Oh, throw that into the stands and his gloves. I mean, a fan walked away with some pretty good stuff. Um, <laughs> to then run across the end zone 
during a middle of a play. Surprised that wasn't a flag on the team because that's just like un- that. That should be called unsportsmanlike conduct, to be quite honest with you. Um, to where then I heard the security team nearly ran and tackled him because they thought he was a fan that got on the field until they heard overhead set that's Antonio Brown leaving. Um, it was disgusting to see coming from that organization, knowing that Brady does not put up with any of that shit. Um, also, the fact is that uh, he's a baby and he can't mm-hmm. clearly stand the pressure of whatever he was getting yelled at or something he didn't like. Um, again, he should be, my eyes, he should be fined from the league for doing that in the middle of a game. Um, I know he's no longer on the box. No, I, I highly doubt any other team will pick him up. Um, but that was unexcusable. Shouldn't have never happened. And like I said, a childish act. Kyle, any, any, anything you want to add on Antonio Brown? Obviously, I totally agree with uh, what James is saying, but this is something bigger than that. I, I think th- this man needs help, right? It, it, it's well, not just about football. He needs no. he needs help. Now, you're out there to do a job and be a professional, and he he didn't he didn't do that. He deserves to probably never play in the NFL again. But uh, I think that was the last straw for him. But Kyle, what do you think about this whole mess? Yeah, I was just going to say it's it's sad. You know, it's it's really just sad to see this unfold for somebody's career, especially the last couple of years, three, four years now, because granted, whether people like it or not, Antonio Brown was probably the best receiver of the decade or by, at least statistically wise. This was one of the greatest when he was in his prime and he's still in his prime. That's why he's he's gotten as many chances as he's gotten. That's why Tom Brady, the greatest of all time, has stuck his neck out for the Antonio Brown on numerous occasions. I mean, with the uh, he didn't even have to come back after the suspension. I thought that was going to be the end of it, and they still let mm-hmm. him come back. And you know, it's it's really sad to see because, to be quite honest with you, and James, you mentioned it, they haven't released him yet. They're talking to league right now on how to approach the whole situation. So we don't even we're talking here now. He might still be a buck. And there might be another chance for forgiveness. Which is absurd. And maybe there will be another chance for forgiveness because, to be quite honest with you, they desperately need him. Without Chris Godwin, you're you're seeing the flaws. Without a healthy Mike Evans, you're seeing the flaws in this team. They they need his talent on the field. And I'm not saying that's the right thing to do. I'm not saying he deserves another chance, especially after this one. This one was bad. I mean, again, granted, a laundry list of things off the field – but now this on the field, I don't know how you bring a guy back and, and, and make everything to be normal and pretend like nothing ever happened. But at the same point in time, I agree with the fact that this is a sad situation. Uh, I think that a lot of people, even Tom Brady said that, you know, we, we just hope that he's able to get some help. Uh, because, again, this is not a uh, we've never seen anything like this before. And this isn't the first time that we've seen something like this before. I know people are talking about the whole money thing and, and saying maybe that's what made him mad you guys remember when he was a raider for a hot second he was two days away from getting 30 million dollars guaranteed yep and for for two days you know just to just to hold hold the commentary aside he could have had 30 million dollars guaranteed and people are saying oh he left the bench because of three hundred thousand dollars 
again, it's just a sad, sad situation. And again, you're talking about the money side of things, James, too. Look at the whole bigger picture. This team is a Super Bowl caliber team. Oh, it is. Especially with him on it. That's the big picture is winning another ring and becoming another cha- and be, win- being a part of another championship team. So uh, there's not really that much to add. I don't think anybody really knows definitively what is going to happen because I think two years ago after what happened with the Raiders, I don't think that people thought he was going to get another chance. And then after what happened with the Patriots for one game, I don't think that anybody thought he was going to get another chance. And then after the stuff that happened with the Bucks earlier this season and just a couple weeks ago, I didn't think that anybody – people thought he was going to get another chance. And so I wouldn't be surprised if he gets another chance, to be quite honest with you. But I, I came to the consensus, and what I've talked to people about is that it's just a sad situation in hopes that the guy gets help because, again, it's just a very, very weird, unlike anything we've ever seen before situation. Brian's comment. His opinion is there's a negative 500% chance Arians lets him back on the field. Um, yeah, that's why I don't think the Bucks have formally released him yet because they haven't. Everybody right. thinks that he's caught. Everybody thinks that he's been released. He hasn't. No, but that's most likely where it's headed. Um, at this time, we're going to bring on our guest for the evening. But before you do that, again, folks, uh, we want to plug how you can win some free review and preview sports merch. Make sure to share this podcast with your friends. Uh, follow us on all of our social media platforms, and you have will be entered for a chance to win this free long sleeve review and preview T-shirt that we will ship out to you. Uh, for free. So, Noah, welcome to the show from the sports box. Big Atlanta Falcons fan, Georgia Bulldogs fan. How are you tonight, buddy? Thank you so much for hopping on. I'm good. How are you guys? Good, man. Good. good. Happy to have you on. I'm glad Happy. to be on. It's been a it's been a few months since I've been on actually, so I'm glad to be back. Yeah, absolutely. Happy New Year to you, by the way. Um, I, I'm sure you enjoyed your new year watching your Georgia Bulldogs trounce the Michigan Wolverines uh, advancing to the national championship, which we'll get a little bit later on tonight. But uh, our first segment with you is some sad news, obviously revolving around former New York Giants, Denver Broncos and Atlanta Falcons head coach Dan Reeves sadly passed away on New Year's Day due to dementia complications at the age of 77 years old. Um Noah, obviously he was your coach. Um, again, I'm not sure if you were old enough to remember him being the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons, or maybe you were. Um, but, you know, he took the Falcons to a Super Bowl, and, you know, it's a, a real shame that he's gone, 77 years old. Um, big, big piece uh, as far as being a coach in the NFL and developing organizations uh and it's just really sad that he's gone yeah no i think this happened on new year's day as well so you know what a great start to new year right to see a guy like dan reeves has passed away um look he's a guy that was responsible for like you said tom probably our greatest season in franchise history 1998 we went 14-2 in the regular season went to the super bowl unfortunately you know we played a broncos team heavily favorited we lost that game i think it was something like 31 to 19 um, but that was definitely one of the main highlights of our franchise's history. He was there for, I got it up right now, seven seasons. Um, unfortunately, you know, the time he coached, uh, by the time he left, I was only four. And that, that Super Bowl coach didn't happen too much before I was born. So do I have any really lasting memories of Dan Reeves? No. 
But looking back on his history, I mean, he's easily still one of the best coaches we've ever had. Now, unfortunately, that's not saying a lot with our franchise history. But I think he did a good job definitely during that season. Unfortunately, where it went downhill the past, you know, last few years of his career, unfortunately, you know, drafted quarterback in 2001 named Michael Vick was not very good, not a big fan of him at all. And then, you know, it just kind of went downhill from there. I think that move set our franchise back quite a few years. And if we didn't get Matt Ryan in 2008, you know, Arthur Smith and all that, it could have gotten even worse. So I think that's where his tenure kind of went downhill. And unfortunately, uh, midway through 2003, he did get fired. Um, But this is a guy that was in the NFL for about, you know, I'd say coaching about 20 years. He started with the Broncos. He was there for, God, I'd say about 15 years. And he had a really respectable career. Now, unfortunately, he never got to a Super Bowl. They fired him. And, you know, what do you know? They get a new guy in there with John Elway and they take off. Um, He was also with your Giants. Funnily enough, I remember a few weeks ago when you actually mentioned Dan Reeves. um, You know, we, we talked a little bit about him. Do I think he was the best coach? Maybe not, but he was a solid above average coach, I'd say. I was looking up some of his uh, statistics earlier. His 201 wins uh, between the regular season and the um, postseason, excuse me. Um, he's one of only two coaches with more than 200 wins um, total. That's not in the Hall of Fame. The only other one is Marty Schottenheimer. So I thought that was an interesting stat as well. He was also with the Cowboys as a player, won a Super Bowl there. I think it was Super Bowl six, something like that. So a very long time ago. Um but it's just sad. This is a guy that, you know, everything I've heard about him from people that have played with him, whatnot, just sounds like a really genuine, great guy. And, you know, he was a very respectable coach for a long time. It, it's unfortunate he couldn't win a Super Bowl. So, um, you know, rest in peace to Dan Reeves. Um, he's in the uh, Broncos Hall of Fame, I believe, as well. Um, I got respect for him. You know, did he do a, a great with Atlanta? Maybe not other than that one season, but a great guy, class act professional, solid coach. And uh, just some terrible news to start the new year, man. I mean, seeing this, it was just – it shook me. He was only a few weeks away from being 78 years old as well. So uh, rest in peace to Dan Reeves. Yeah, Kyle, James, any uh, anything you want to add on Dan Reeves and his time during the Giants? Obviously, he was head coach pretty much before any of us were alive. I think James and I were like one – only one when he left the Giants. But – um, from watching old tapes of him, I mean, he was, you know, very old school head coach, did things in a very traditional way, and that framed a lot of people. He was Michael Strahan's first head coach when he entered the NFL. He was Amani Toomer's first head coach when he entered the NFL. Two guys that the Giants obviously uh, had for a very long time and that we got to watch growing up as young kids. Yeah, I mean, hats off to him. It, it's unfortunate, you know, at the time it happens, um, you know, the new, the day of the new year. Um, he impacted players and franchises, it seems like, throughout the league, uh, which is huge. Uh, not many coaches are able to do that. Um, but it, he also left a well statement on fans, players, and organizations. So it's unfortunate for his passing, but he left on a good legacy and his name uh, throughout the league. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, again, like you said, Tom, way before my time, but, you know, I believe in his first year with the Giants, he won coach of the year, right? He won NFL coach of the year. 93. Had had a impact. Yeah, 93. Had an impact right away on the team in his first season. And although he only won two Super Bowls, and I could be mistaken, but I feel like I've heard it all week now, is that he was a part of nine. He's part of nine mm-hmm. Super Bowls. Yep. So the, the guy had a tremendous impact wherever he was, obviously – a majority of those with the Cowboys. Um, 
as an assistant coach from 72 on to 80. But again, having an impact wherever he was, whether it was a player or whether it was in, in his coaching tenure as a head coach, obviously, you know, as you just alluded to, one of the best seasons ever in Atlanta Falcons history, he's responsible for that and attached to that. So obviously left his mark on the NFL and uh, truly will be missed in the NFL community. I uh, just wanted to point out, since you missed that coach year, he also was coach year in 1998, so two of those. Yeah. Yeah, um, I'll say this. Uh, I have an interesting story about him, and this is going to be very quick. A couple of years ago, we're in Disney World in Florida, my family friends, Animal Kingdom, and we're leaving this restaurant where we had dinner. There was a family walking in, and my buddy Tim was with me, big lacrosse guy, and he's talking to this kid around our age, a few years, few years younger, starting up college. He's going to be on the lacrosse team, and his last name was Reeves. Little did we know, he was Dan Reeves' grandson. Uh, Dan Reeves' family was about to sit at the table we were sitting at, and I've taken that with me. I don't think that was a coincidence, right? I'm a big believer in philosophy and whatnot. Um, yeah, I was really sad. to. I woke up New Year's Day first, literally the first thing I see on my phone. So it is very sad. He also, the, the Falcons were part of the NFC West back then, back when they had the five teams set up when the Cardinals were part of the NFC East, this and that. Mm-hmm. So it was much tougher to win the division. He did it with the Giants in 93, best season for a first-year Giants head coach ever. Um, he ended up starting his tenures well, but not ending them great, obviously getting fired by the Falcons midseason yep. prior uh you know, to, I believe, the Jim Mora era, I want to say, for the Falcons. I forget who was head coach after him, though. You probably know. Yeah, but, I'd say uh, Jim Mora was there a few years, so. Yeah. Hank and, Hank and Dichter says, how's it going, gents, on YouTube? Um, Dan Reeves was technically the first Giants coach of his lifetime as well. Uh, fun fact. So rest in peace, Dan Reeves. And let's get to Kyle Earhart's comment. This is going to cause some controversy here. The Giants need to blow it up. Jones, Judge, and Gettleman have to go. I could not disagree. Uh, I agree with one-third of it. Gettleman has to go. Uh, Jones does not have to go. We saw what he did under Pat Shermer. An offensive scheme that works. He's a very successful quarterback. Um, there's quarterbacks worse than him in the NFL right now that are playing better than him uh, due to schematics. Um, And then we already spoke about Joe Judge earlier in the show, but um, respect the opinion. Um, I like Jones. I like Judge. I don't think they're the issue. Noah, what do you think about this issue from an outsider looking in? Obviously, you played us in week three. We're mm-hmm. very divided here. I'm to the stance that Judge deserves one more year. Kyle wants Joe Judge gone at the end of the season. James is kind of in in that in between phase. Um, we're all out, we're all on the same page with Gettleman, and then Jones. It's the same thing. I'm I'm white. Kyle's black, and James mm-hmm. is like middleman again. So, what what's your take on those three individuals from an outsider? Well, first of all, I mean, Gettleman's the obvious one. I think he's he's going to retire after the season. He needs to go. I think the job he's done is absolutely terrible. 
Um, I didn't even like him, you know, with the with the Panthers when he was there. They had that one great season, fine. But other than that, you know, typically mediocre, below average teams. Um, the quarterback and the head coach, entirely different scenario. I'm kind of 50-50 on this as well. Uh, do I, Look, do I think Daniel Jones or um, Judge are, you know, great at what they do or they're elite? No, I think – the, the the situation is not good at all. The Giants are not a very good team. Now, I will say, I thought they would be better than they were. I didn't think they'd be this absolutely garbage. You know, I thought they might <laughs> I thought they might win, you know, seven or eight games, maybe sneak into the playoffs or something like that. Uh, but they, they just got absolutely boat raced by a team of the Chicago Bears that have been terrible all year, have a garbage head coach in Matt Nagy. I was not expecting that at all. And they just vastly underachieved. Now, what I will say – I think, you know, you can say what you want about the quarterback, say what you want about the head coach. This problem has extended past them. The Giants have not been good since they won the Super Bowl. I mean, the past 10 years, they've just been, other than that one season 2016, they've been, you know, mediocre, below average, or just downright terrible. Now, I think that's more of an organizational issue. I think um, Jerry Reese was terrible. John Mara, you know, maybe meddling some situations too much. I think it's an organizational problem. You know, if you want to say Jones and Judge aren't fine, but if they're not fine, well, you got to look at the guys who hired him. You got to look at the GM as well. Um, so I think it's an organizational issue. Would I fire him? I mean, maybe one more year. Um, see what he does with another a new GM who maybe is actually competent. Um, you know, see what Daniel Jones give him a little more time, and then if he sucks, get a new guy in there. I think he's had a good a good amount of time to show what he's done. Uh, I don't think he's great, but I think he has some talent. So um, I would probably wait one more year. But I can understand why Giants fans are frustrated, man. The team sucks. And like I told you a few weeks ago, Tom, or actually it was only a few days ago, this is ridiculous how one of the most legendary franchises in NFL history has fallen to such a low point. So, you know, good luck with the high draft pick. Good luck with the fields pick. You'll be able to get some 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 players in the draft. But, I mean, this Thank is Thank you, bad. man. Appreciate it. <laughs> I make jokes about it in the beginning when football season starts. You know what I say in the beginning of the season? I say yeah. I look forward to April. Like, yeah, I mean, you said that over text two days ago, Russo. Well, no, I say that in the beginning of seasons too, guys. You guys like to make fun of me and say I'm not optimistic and I'm pessimistic. I'm telling the truth. Yeah. When have well, I been wrong about the prediction? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm leaning towards the same thing. Look, I don't think Joe Judge is anything special right now, but I don't think he deserves – I mean, I, all right, I've already stated my opinion on that enough. But mm-hmm. my tweet uh, on the Big Blue Avenue account – my ideal scenario would be for the Giants to draft Evan Neal and Tyler Linderbaum. But right now the Giants are slated to pick fifth, and I think the Bears are eighth, I want to say. I'm not entirely sure. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, Linderbaum is a guarantee to be there at five and probably eight. Neal will not be there at eight, and he's not a guarantee to be there at five. So I think it's really interesting the way you put this into perspective. That that's the thing I think the Giants need to fix. And then you can really say whether or not Daniel Jones is your franchise quarterback. If they don't do it again next year and Jones has a bad year, mm-hmm. all right, well, then you have to get rid of Jones because his rookie contract is done. New GM, the line still isn't fixed. I mean, you just then I'll be on board that you have to blow it up. Well, look, this draft is very important. The only thing I will say about the Giants in recent years, I think they have hit on some of the early first-round picks. I think Andrew Thomas has been great that season. 
I say that as unbiased, oh, but I'm saying that as unbiasedly as possible. Uh, Karius yeah. Tony, uh, first round pick when he actually plays, you know, gets decent playing time. I think he's yeah. good as well. Aziz Ojolari, second round pick as well. I think has been one of your best defenders. So, you know, these two high picks, like you said, Evan Neal, I mean, he's not last in the five. He's the best offensive line in this draft. Someone's going to get a very good player in him. Linderbaum probably be there. So, you know, get two high picks in there. Maybe offensive linemen really help. Uh, it also doesn't help that, you know, your former star running back, he's been battling injury, and w- even when he has been helped, he hasn't been very productive. Uh, if you told me Kenny Galladay before the season would have zero touchdowns, I'd tell you you're on crack. Um, but he has, so that's been very disappointing as well. And um, and the uh, the defense, you know, it has not been as good as I thought either. They brought in, um, what was it, James Bradbury, Adore Jackson, guys like this the past few seasons have not exactly lived up to expectations. So, um Look, you know, like Kyle says, let's get to the off season. That's what I feel pretty much every September when the Falcons start 0-4. So um, it is what it is. But, you know, hopefully they can improve. I'd like to see the Giants do well again very soon. Absolutely. Uh, before we get to Kyle and James's thoughts, some more comments here. Uh, same exact stats and Sam Darnold, both really bad. Um don't agree with that first part, Kyle. Giants need to get a bridge quarterback and wait for the right guy. Uh, don't agree with that as well. Um, also, Zach Wilson has some swagger, doesn't he? Miss you guys. Um, yeah, I mean, when you're going up against a JPP and Shaq Barrettless defense, I mean, you would hope you would have some swagger, right? And that's not taking away anything from Zach Wilson, but um, – you know, let's see what he can do against any elite Tampa Bay Bucks defense. I thought he had a good game, and hopefully for the Jets' sake, their success continues uh, against the Buffalo Bills this weekend. I mean, I doubt they'll win the football game with the Bills playing for a lot at stake, that AFC East title, but, you know, uh, he might be onto something there. Zach Wilson, good offensive line, no weapons. Elijah Moore out for the year. Corey Davis, same thing, right? Yeah, well, you know, the thing with these guys like Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson, people want to just look at the stats and say, oh, they're not playing well. Well, I mean, Trevor Lawrence went to a team that had won a singular game last year. And yeah. you wonder, and, and by the way, they drafted a, a first-round running back, and Travis Etienne has not played at all either. Um, I'm not surprised he's struggling. Um, you know, Zach Wilson, same thing. The Jets are a dumpster fire. They have been for about 10 seasons now, you know, since Mark Sanchez, of all people, took him to back-to-back AFC title games. They've just been absolute crap. And then people, you know, they want to look at a guy like Mac Jones. Why is Mac Jones succeeding? Well, is it possibly because he's playing for the greatest coach of all time who spent, you know, over $200 million in contract dollars in free agency to improve that team? Maybe. Now, I think Mac is good. Is he as good as, you know, the rest of the team? That remains to be seen. I think he's more of like a solid above average quarterback, kind of a game manager guy. But I'm not surprised he's doing well on that team. So, you know, for these young guys – what I've always said with young quarterbacks, give them three seasons, see what you have. And then, you know, if they're not good by then, maybe need to head in a different direction. So that's why I think with a guy like Daniel Jones this season, if he stays for one more year, it's put up or shut up time. And if he doesn't do well, you got to think about going in a different direction. My biggest thing, too, which a lot of us regret to you say when we talk about Daniel Jones, if the play isn't enough said, and the fact that he's injured every single season he's been in the NFL should be enough said to say that, well, his play is not good and he gets injured all the time. So maybe it's time to potentially move on. And I agree completely with what Kyle said. When Gardner Menchu became ousted in Jacksonville, I said trade for that man. 
when Jacoby Brissett became a free agent, I said, sign that, man. Same thing with Andy Dalton. Because why? Not only did I not think that Daniel Jones was not a good quarterback, which proved again this season, is because if he got hurt, we had nobody to back him up. And I'll say this because it's one of the most shocking things ever, Noah. Last year, our best win came with Hubie Kind Center, Colt McCoy in Seattle, which is one of the hardest places to win in football, and they beat <clears throat> Russell Wilson with Colt McCoy. That's the best Giants win in the last three years since Daniel Jones has been the quarterback. So I can talk all day long about this. We could have a whole show about the New York Giants the way I feel, but at the same time, it's not going to matter because I know what's going to happen. They're going to keep Joe Judge. They're going to keep Daniel Jones, and they're going to let they're going to let uh, uh, what's his name? They're going to let uh, Dave Gettleman ride out and, and and retire the Giants' way. But like you said, it's more internally. But again, it's internally. But the people that are hiring these people are not so. They don't have the resume put together either. So you could say, oh, it's the internal people's fault for hiring these people. Yeah, but at the same time, these guys don't have a resume put together. They didn't hire. A guy that was legitimately under Bill Belichick, they had a special teams coordinator who, James, earlier in the show, you said special teams was good. Our special teams really is bad. Listen, the only one scoring points for us, Kyle. That's the only thing, all right? And and on top of that, no, you were talking about the defense not being so great. The defense, that's that's, that's just the Giants this season. The defense has been awesome. Patrick Graham has gotten the most out of this defense, especially because they have no pass rush. The problem is, if you watch the games closely, the defense is on the field so much because the mm-hmm. offense can't stay on the field for more than three downs, that the defense gets gassed and lets up a bunch of points. That's why they're losing the way they are. That has nothing to do with the defense. Can, can, I, can, can right. we move on from this? I feel like we're going in circles. Sorry, but I'm just saying. Um, what just you said, couple, you know, last final thoughts on it. Just a couple more comments. Um, let's not forget the real moment the Jets went downhill with Victor Cruz. Yep, I remember that. Judge uh, O's grand fancy steak dinner. Uh, true. I, I think the whole team does. But let's move on to the Philadelphia Eagles. And this apparently Jalen Hurts just tweeted this out now about the tragic video of the fans falling. And I'm sorry, people want to say the Giants are a clown show organization. They're not. The real clown show organization is the Philadelphia Eagles. And here's why. I mean, you make the playoffs and your fans can't even be civil. You nearly take out your own quarterback and then the quarterback, okay, he picks them up and he makes sure everyone's okay. That's fine. But then he's proceeding to take pictures with these people. I mean, watch this video. I don't mean to laugh, but I'm sorry. See, there he's doing the right thing. He's doing the right thing, and he's, you know. I may, now I just, be, I may now just walk away. Just walk away. I may be the only person that the way that Tom was, was throwing this up that thought that he was going to be talking about the Washington football team. <laughs> like, how do you blame the Philadelphia Eagles for the Washington football team's stadium literally falling apart? Like, you're telling me you haven't been to a game before. 
you're watching your players go in the tunnel and you're not leaning over trying to get a high five or hoping that maybe he gives you a glove or whatever, that's yeah, normal. You know, What's not normal is a stadium literally falling apart. And that's not the first time ever. That's not the well, first time this season either. Have you guys seen the video at FedEx Field where the pipe burst, the sewage pipe burst right on the fans? That's Washington's fault, not Philly's fault. And there there goes the closet Washington fan, Kyle Russo. <laughs> but, look, Eagles fans are ruthless. I mean, hopefully everybody's okay, and that is a very serious issue. But Jalen Hurts is asking, what action is going to be taken with the NFL about that? You can blame Washington all you want for their security and whatnot, but – there were way too many Eagles fans leaning on that rail, leaning on that rail. It's just not okay. I mean, it's basically a circus out there. And then the Eagles fans are trying to take pictures with the guy. I mean, that's just a public embarrassment for any organization to be doing that at that moment. Well, well, look, what I will say, you know, I get there excited that they made the playoffs and all that. I mean, they're going to get boat raced in the first round in my opinion, but Congratulations! You know you beat a team with no with no name at all by four points. You know massive win for for them. But um, look, I, Kyle makes a good point. I don't know why that that thing is collapsing like it is. I will say, you know, Washington yeah. complete disarray. Daniel Schneider is an absolute joke of an owner. I don't know why he's still there, honestly. Um, but they got to get that addressed. You know, in another scenario, some guy, you know, he he falls over that, he cracks his head open, or he has a severe injury. You're looking at a major lawsuit, man. That's did not see, that. Did you see the cameraman in that video? His leg got crushed by the rail because he had <laughs> five people laying on top of the rail while his leg was strapped underneath it. Yeah, no, I mean, th- that's ridiculous. Now, I'm not going to fit in Eagles fans too much. I mean, these are the same guys that booted Santa Claus. So I, I know what they're all about. <laughs> but um, look, congratulations. The Eagles won. Uh, the Washington football team, they need to get that name in February. Um, at least have a respectable name when you lose like 12 games next season and just move on. Can I say something from an operations and uh, crowd management standpoint? Go ahead, man. Perfect. Um, Whoever was posted at that position should be fired. Um, I I would fire them right on the spot, to be honest with you, that that's not happening in my stadium. Uh, Two also, that does fall in Washington, but that also falls on the NFL, not making sure every stadium is maintained correctly, um, along with having you're in not enemy territory, but you're in with a rival stadium. Um, there should have been some type of security or police, something along there, because God forbid if it was Washington's fans that fell down, who would have known what would have happened to Hertz or vice versa? So, uh, to be honest with you, um, the NFL really needs to take a deeper dive. Oh, okay, You're a good. deeper dive. Oh, okay, into uh, into everything, but complete embarrassment um, from my line of work standpoint. This is me the, off. And the reason why Hertz posted the thing that he did, not only because of what happened, it was a picture that resurfaced what they did to address it. All they did was tie the railing back up. That's all they did. But yeah, but okay. the Philly the Philly fans should not be left off the hook, like Hank said. I mean, uh, I doubt that happens with a lot of other organizations. Uh, mm-hmm. That's that's just me being spiteful towards Philly. But um, you guys are right. You bring up a good argument. Washington is in disarray. They definitely are. But Kyle Boston, Boston Scott finally kills another team besides the Giants. 
two touchdowns on the day. And the Philadelphia Eagles are headed back to the playoffs, six and three on the road this season. They did have a mini COVID outbreak. Fletcher Cox, Jason Kelsey, Dallas Goddard. Uh, I said Boston Scott. Um, yep. There was a couple other players as well that were added to that COVID list. But, man, that is concerning. Uh, hopefully they're all ready to go, ready to play, to play the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, that's a game that I hope ends in a tie. I hope neither team wins. You know what? Maybe their stadium will fall apart. I'd like that. No, no, because – oh, the uh, the link? That's where they're playing, right? They're playing at the link? I think so, right? Because Dallas would – yeah, they're playing at the link. That's yeah. perfect. Because the Eagles have played nine road games all, already, so this will be their eighth home game. The fans get hurt. The players get hurt. Oh, lovely day for everybody. Sorry. Well, we had an Eagles fan on last week. When we had the fog on last week, I mean, he literally said, sorry, Eagles fans, but we're probably going to make the playoffs just to get bodied in the first round. Um, That was a great interview, by the way. If you haven't checked that out already, make sure to go check that out on our YouTube channel at Review Preview Sports. But, Noah, moving Mm -hmm. on to your Atlanta Falcons, falling to the Buffalo Bills by a final score of 29 to 15. Buffalo had 233 rushing yards and five sacks. Now, Josh Allen had three interceptions, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk about your Falcons defense and how they were able to stick around for majority of the game until the real Atlanta Falcons decided to show up. Uh, I see. I see you saw that post I made about uh, that. I, I might have. <laughs> Yeah, well, look, before the game, you know, I expected the Falcons to get absolutely blown out. I was not expecting anything to happen from this game. You know, the first half, I think they're up by a point or something like that. And, you know, I see some Falcons fans getting inside. I'm like, what do you get inside it for? They're going to get a a pep talk at halftime. They're going to come out and they're going to win the game. And what do you know? Uh, We get outscored 15 to nothing in the second half because, look, the Bills have a great team and the Falcons are a terrible team. I honestly think they have a bottom five roster in the NFL. I like what Arthur Smith has done, but, you know, the simple fact is the, the the damage that guys like Dan Quinn and Thomas Dimitrov did to this team over the course of five seasons, you're not fixing that in one offseason, man. We need to get into the offseason, go to the draft, get some more guys in, try to sign some guys in free agency. Um, I hope we, we, we re-sign Foyasade Aluakun because he's actually the leading tacker in the NFL this season with 179. You know, he has more than Bobby Wagner, so – um, he, you know, he's played mostly middle linebacker this season, kind of supplanting Deion Jones, who got moved outside. Um, wish we didn't have Deion Jones, honestly. Good player, but way, way overpaid. Um, I think, you know, Alua Kuhn does what he can, but better and way cheaper as well. But, you know, you mentioned, Tom, the story of the Atlanta Falcons, um, offensive line, terrible once again. It's been terrible for about a decade now. The defense, you know, they did all they could. And, you know, I got to give credit because usually we have – you know, past few seasons, our defense have been terrible. They've been improved this season. Um, you mentioned the three picks. Um, I love A.J. Terrell. I think the other guys, you know, the safeties, uh, Fabian Moreau, the other corner, these guys, they're veterans. They need to go. They're stopgaps, basically. We need to get new guys in there. Matt Ryan, he's aging. I get that. I don't think he's terrible, but I don't think he's the guy he used to be. We also have no running game. Now, we did okay this game, uh, 22 carries for 96 yards and a touchdown, but that's an outlier, man. We, we usually have absolutely no running game, and we have to pass our way back in the game. So I'm not bothered they lost. I expected them to lose. I did not expect them to make the playoffs. Even if they did, they would get absolutely boat raced in the wild card. Um, they're probably going to lose their last game as well against the Saints. 
Um, it is what it is, man. I, I expected before the season, I said they'll, they'll win seven or eight games, and they've, they've won seven games. And then those games are against anybody good. Their best win is against the Saints, which is basically their backup team. Um, so they need to get the offseason. Massive improvements needed. I like what Arthur Smith has done with very little. Um, but I'm not surprised they lost the game. It was kind of, you know, just waiting for the inevitable. And what do you know, the second half, the better yeah. team with far better players comes out to play. I love that. I love that boast, uh, boat race. You used it three times. I like that. I like that. I, I know. That, I've that's never what, heard that before. I like that. That's probably, that's probably my favorite quote uh, to use when someone gets uh, dominated, just absolutely boat raced out of the stadium. I love that, man. <laughs> Thank you. That's a good no, one. But, but to, but to add on to it uh, with the Atlanta Falcons, again, a lot of people haven't really talked about this defense because there's nothing really that flashy about it. But guys like A.J. Terrell, who when he got drafted in that first round two mm-hmm. years ago, they Hated were doing that as like one of the worst picks of the first round. And he's really turning the narrative on his career in the NFL. Uh, Michael Walker has been good. Mm-hmm. And they don't like Deion Jones. I'm actually a Deion Jones guy. I, I like what he's done in his time there. You talked about uh, Aluakon. He's been good. But talk about, you know, Kyle Pitts as well. Although nothing too flashy. I know he left the game, I think, with a hamstring injury. Mm. But, I mean, he's. what have you felt about him? I think he's lived up to that number four overall pick. I love Kyle Pitts. And, you know, that's saying a lot because he went to the University of Florida, which I absolutely despise. And, you know, the entire three years he was there, you know, I was joking with my Gator fans like my buddy Garth, who's my co-host, you know, saying he he's overrated, man. He's nothing special. While on the inside, I'm like, man, this guy's a freaking beast. Whoever's getting this guy in the NFL, he's going to do a great job. Go figure. Karma strikes me. The Falcons take him number four overall. I think he's been fantastic. Look, you know, the guy has a 1,000-yard season as a tight end, as a rookie. Um, he sets the Falcons' rookie receiving yards franchise record, which was set by, you know, a decent receiver named Julio Jones. So that's not like some light record to have. And also, if he gets, I think it's, you know, 58 yards more or something like that in the final game, he will break the rookie tight end receiving record ever, which is held by Mike Dicka, who's one of the best tight ends ever. So he's been great. The concern I have with him, um, I don't like how they utilize him. One touchdown on the entire season is unacceptable. This guy is an absolute mismatch in the red zone. Why are we giving the ball to Mike Davis, who has not had a good year at all at running back? And why are we targeting these five foot ten midget receivers over over this absolute mammoth of a man? who is an absolute mismatch no matter where you line up, has good hands as well. Now, he does drop some passes, but not many. Um, I think it's a bit overstated by some people. But he's a mismatch. We don't use him enough. Uh, they need to fix that next season, get him, you know, five, six, seven touchdowns, target him way more in the red zone. Uh, between the 20s, the guy is ridiculous. Um, so, you know, hopefully they can utilize it better in the red zone next season. Our red zone play calling has been terrible since Kyle Shanahan left. But for the pick, He's lived up to my expectations and probably even then some because, I mean, the highest drafted tight end ever, you're going to have high expectations. But he's been incredible. He's been one of our top five best players on the entire season, I'd say. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. Um, Next game I want to talk about is the Chiefs and the Bengals, arguably the game of the week. Uh, A lot of people think it was. Cincinnati refuses to kick the field goal, just keeps milking that clock. Uh, I mean, it took a couple penalties to go their way, a couple of stops at the goal line on Joe Mixon, but the Bengals beat the Chiefs 34-31, winning the AFC North for the first time since 2015. Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase each have career days. Former LSU teammates Joey Burrow, 450 passing yards, four touchdowns. Jamar Chase, 11 catches, 
for 266 yards and three touchdowns. I don't think I've seen a receiver ever have this type of day in quite some time. It's been at least a decade since I've seen a receiver come up with 266 receiving yards in a game. Just a remarkable performance against a Chiefs defense. And it's really starting to get concerning. This is probably the year that the Chiefs get bumped uh, before the, the Super Bowl. And Cincinnati is proving that they could be that team. So c- congrats to the Bengals. Yeah, no, they look great. And I have to say, you know, Joe Burrow, he had that terrible injury last year. I, I think coming into the season, a lot of guys were, you know, I wouldn't say underrating him because I think people think he's good, but kind of overlooking him. Um, and look, I think Dak Prescott has had a good season come back from that injury. But in my opinion, comeback player of the year, my vote is going to Joe Burrow because the job he has done, especially in the last few months, I'd say, has been ridiculous. The last two games, he has passed for 971 yards in only two games. I mean, he had 525 against the Ravens, absolutely killed them. He has four touchdowns and 446 in this game. This guy is a stud. And you mentioned Jamar Chase, Tom. This is probably the best individual receiving performance I have seen in a single game since Calvin Johnson against the Cowboys. I want to say it was 2013. I think he had 329. This is the best game I've ever seen um, since then. Uh, the only other one I think comes close, I think Cleo had 300 in the game. But the fact he got three touchdowns in this game as well, I think it just slightly bumps that up above that Julio performance for me. But 11-266, three touchdowns. Also broke that uh, rookie wide receiver uh, receiving yards record set by Justin Jefferson last year. He now has 1,429 on the year. Look, what I will say about the Bengals, you know, fantastic result to beat the Chiefs, who, you know, I've said consistently uh, they're still the favorite in the AFC because until someone beats them, you can't say anyone's better than them at least in the playoffs, um, but they got a, a good result at home. Like you said, they win the AFC North first time in, in since 2015, excuse me. Um, you know, they, they I think they swept the Steelers. I know they swept the Ravens, and they have a game against the Browns this week. Uh, that should be an easy W because the Browns are garbage. But um, great season by them. And what I will say, are they a Super Bowl favorite? Maybe not. But um, like I said a few months ago when I was talking about the Braves coming in the postseason, never count on a hot team. And in my opinion, right now, I wouldn't want to play the Bengals in a playoff game because they are playing their best football when it matters the most, most late December, early January going into the playoffs. Um, their defense is doing well now. I mean, sure, they gave up 31 this game. But, I mean, it's Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. You expect to give up points. For the most part, I think they've had some really good performances. Trey Henriksen, who they got from the Saints, uh, set, I think he set their franchise sack record with yeah. like four, 14 and a half. So he's done well. Um, their secondary has been pretty good from the bits I've seen. So uh, congratulations to them for winning the AFC North. And just from a neutral perspective, seeing a team like this go from being basically a doormat for a few years to being a good team again behind a lot of young players, it's really exciting to watch. So I'm interested to see what they can do in the playoffs. Yeah, last week, Tom, we were calling games of the week. This was my game of the week. And it was I was talking about it, it was going to be a true testament for both teams because, no, I agree with your statement saying that, you know, even though the Chiefs lost, they're they're still the favorites in the AFC, and I, I think they will remain the favorites as we enter the the playoffs at this point in time. But the Cincinnati Bengals, they prove that they're a legitimate team because going to this game, while well, they had some quality wins, and you know, everybody wants to talk talk up the Ravens game again. That's unbelievable. They were playing against the Ravens C D team. That that's just bottom line fact with the amount of injuries and COVID since that they had on that roster. So doing this against the Chiefs is unbelievable is unbelievable and what's even more unbelievable with it is that they're doing this everybody likes to talk about offensive lines being important i get it 
their offensive line is horrible. But you know what? When you have good weapons and you have a good quarterback, you have a good coach coaching the team, things work their magic, and they manage to work out in their favor. Joe Burrow, no, you talked about it. He's one of the most underrated going into the season, one of the most underrated quarterbacks in all of football. Last year, he didn't have a chance. He didn't have a chance, got hurt 10 weeks into the season, and people sort of forgot about him. Didn't even think he'd play again with the injury that he suffered against Chase Young. And he's playing out of his mind. Even in the draft, people said, don't take Jamar Chase, take the offensive lineman, Penisul. Uh-huh. I think people are kind of questioning that right now. Even though people would say, obviously, protection is still a question with the Cincinnati Bengals, Jamar Chase is just a different type of player. I think we could agree upon that. Just a different type of player. And then the combination of T. Higgins as well, who's looking like a stud. He has probably some of the best catchability, underrated catchability in the NFL. The way he's able to grab a ball is crazy. Tyler Boyd, they... They're starting to use him a little more. Joe Mixon, nobody's been able to stop him all year round. When he's healthy, the tight end, Amazada, they got a nice team together. They got a scary team get to, together. And what's scary, because, again, the only thing against them is youth and inexperience, mm-hmm. is that they might mess around and win a playoff game the way that they're playing right now. Because I don't know a lot of teams that could stop Jamar Chase nor stop Joe Burrow the way he's playing. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned Higgins as well because one of the most underrated receivers in the league, in my opinion, just a solid 1,000-yard receiving guy. He's only 22 as well. People forget how young he is. Jamar Chase, 21 as well. Uh, Mixon and Burrow, 25. This core is very young. They've been ahead of schedule this season, but they're only going to get better. They're only going to develop, and like you said, they they have time to still get that offensive line in there. Now, I do think Panesu was great. Um, arguably could have even gone number one with how highly rated I think he was. Um, but a guy like Jamar Chase does not come along very often. I said before the draft, look, you know, guys like Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, they're probably more polished when people look at him right now. But pure potential-wise, I thought Jamar Chase was the best receiver in that class, and it wasn't even close. And for what I've seen so far, I've, I've seen nothing to change that opinion. He's been phenomenal. So do I think they'll win a Super Bowl or win the AFC or anything like that? No. Um, but they're going to give everyone they play, I think, a tough game and play very well behind a very solid quarterback, timely defense, maybe not elite, but timely, and fantastic skills positions. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think they're going to cause some havoc in the playoffs, especially depending on who they play as the sixth seed. It's all up in the air right now. James, um, Anything you want to add? I mean, the the Chiefs just did not look impressive in this game. Tyree Kill limited to just 40 receiving yards. He led the team defensively outside of Chris Jones. There just seemed to be no life in that Kansas City defense. No, there's not. We saw some life in that defense not last week, two weeks ago. You know, they they, they show life, then they don't show life. Um, I like Spags as a coach. I like what he did with the Giants, but ultimately I think he needs – for them to go far this year, that defense really needs to step up. A lot of people are still going to say, oh, Mahomes can get you, Mahomes can get you. But we saw in this game, Mahomes can only get you so much compared to the opposing side. We will, Kyle, you did say that, that they'll do fine, Kansas City, this year. I think they'll do okay in the playoffs. I don't see them making it all the way, to be quite honest with you. I think this is a year that they will there will be some surprise team at a left field squashing the Chiefs and everybody will be like I wasn't expecting this whatnot. We're gonna see a different side of the Chiefs because they can't solely rely on Mahomes. 
Well, yeah, I, I agree with that, James. I mean, the secondary is is was very bad. There's no doubt about oh, yeah. it. But I mean, even after the game, I with with such a confident win and such a, such a statement win that the Cincinnati Bengals had, both Zach Taylor and Joe Burrow, the first thing that they said when talking about it, going for it on what six seven plays in a row, trying to get into the end zone, they said we weren't going to give the ball back to Patrick Mahomes. That's why we did yeah. what we did. So, I mean, that's just the type of fear that he has. And until, like Noah said earlier, until somebody takes him down in the playoffs, that's the team for me. All right. So, a little time crunch here. I just want to say I think the Titans are the best team in the AFC. I mean, Deontay Foreman, 130 rushing yards on the ground. I mean, I think Mike Vrabel is the second best coach in the NFL behind Bill Belichick, what he's been able to do with the Derrick Henry list, Julio Jones list. And at times, A.J. Brownless team this year, um, they signed Zach Cunningham off the street and from Houston, and he looks spectacular. Uh, Tennessee's defense, phenomenal, holding the Miami Dolphins, a team on a seven-game winning streak, just three points, eliminating them from the, from the playoffs. Uh, the Ravens losing five straight. They seem to be out of the mix right now. And then the Raiders, all of a sudden, are on a three-game winning streak. Derek Carr, Josh Jacobs, Hunter Renfro, and then Zay Jones. Zay Jones, eight catches for 120 yards, just coming out of nowhere, beating the Indianapolis Colts. Now that'll set up a win it in for the Raiders against the Chargers on Sunday night football this weekend. So it's all going to be fun to watch as this playoff picture begins to unfold in front of our own eyes. I'm just I'm shocked to say that the Vegas Raiders have a good shot of making it with all they've been through this season. And it's really credit to Derek Carr and what they've been able to do on the offensive side of the ball. Defensively, they've improved as well. Um, you know, Jonathan Taylor, yeah, he had a hundred yard game, but other than that, like what did the Colts do offensively? You know? So that's kind of where I'm at right now. Any, yeah. any thoughts on the Raiders and the AFC playoff picture? It seems to be Raiders, Chargers, seven, and then probably Colts, six. I, I mean, I don't see them losing to Jacksonville, even though history has told us otherwise. But well, guys- well, I'll get into more detail in, in that Raiders-Chargers game when we get to week 18. But as for the Raiders, you know, like you said, for all they've been through, you know, we won't go into in-depth, but Gruden, the rug situation is not ideal yeah. at all. They've rebounded greatly. And what I've always said about the Raiders, they've never had, you know, truly terrible teams the past few years. They had that one season, 2016. But for the most part, I think they've just kind of been mediocre, you know, seven and nine, eight and eight type seasons. This season, when they needed to win their games the absolute most, they get three straight wins. And I was watching part of this Colts game. And when that game went to overtime, you know, I think in the past few seasons, that's a game the Raiders let slip by. But I have to give a lot of credit to Derek Carr, who, in my opinion, one of the most underrated quarterbacks in the NFL. He got it done in overtime after, you know, he didn't light it up by any means on the stat sheet, had two interceptions in this game. But when they got to overtime, you know, he had that massive completion to Hunter Renfro, which honestly should have been a touchdown and has nothing to do with the fact he was starting for me in fantasy. Um, But... (laughs) They got it done, man, and that's a good Colts team. I think they've played very well recently, and like you said, Tom, you know, 100 yards for Taylor. It's good, but for what we've seen Taylor be able to do, I mean, that's honestly holding him in check. So they're playing their best football at the right time. They have a massive game against the Chargers, which, you know, I'll get into more detail later, but they're looking good right now. 
Tom, we talked about it last week with Steve, and we said, can you trust the Colts if some team contains Jonathan Taylor with Carson Wentz being a quarterback? And this was that game. Because Jonathan Taylor, again, 108 yards, that's awesome. And a touchdown that's off 20 attempts, too, which is like a light load for him. But Carson Wentz, 16 of 27 and only 148 yards for a touchdown. And if you watch the game, it was a touchdown, which was a tip pass that landed right in the hands of T.Y. Hilton. And when we talk about the weapons outside of Mike, Mike, um, Michael Pittman, he had six receptions for 47 yards. The next leading receiver was, uh, at least in receptions, was Naheem Hines, who's the backup running back with four receptions for 14 yards. So they don't have a lot of skilled position players outside of Michael Pittman and outside of Jonathan Taylor. So if he's not getting things going, because that defense is awesome, that defense is top three defense, if Jonathan Taylor doesn't got it going, Carson Wentz is, is, is proving. And nothing to take away the Ra- from the Raiders because they've been through a lot. I don't know if you saw their most – Recent news stint would happen. Um, I think his name is Nathan Hobbs on their defense. He's a rookie player. It just seems like every time they win, something bad happens to the team. But if you have to depend upon Carson Wentz, you know, you're, you're unfortunately they're just not winning the games. Look, I, I've said it for I've said it for a few weeks now. Indy Carson Wentz is Ryan Tannehill in Tennessee. I think they're very similar situations. Yep, agreed. Yeah, it, it's very true. Walt. Thinks the Chargers are fraud. Shout out Alec Walt. Make sure to go check out Down the Block Sports on YouTube. He does a great job over there. Will never show up when they need to. Yeah, I feel like they should be much better than what their record is, right? But mm-hmm. defensively, they're not good. They can't stop the run. And Justin Herbert, I thought he underperformed this past week. You know, um, I'm pretty sure he has a full slate of weapons back now with Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Eckler. I know all three of those guys are either banged up or dealing on the COVID list for a while, but man, they have an uphill battle coming for them. And then the other team in the AFC we're going to talk about is the Pittsburgh Steelers winning last night on Monday night football, big Ben final time, probably playing at Heinz field. Never finished below 500 with Big Ben at quarterback. They beat the Browns 26-14. to 14. Najee Harris with the game-winning touchdown on that last drive from 37 yards out. Rushed for 188 yards. Uh, Steelers defense had nine sacks. T.J. Watt with four of them just one away from Michael Strahan's record. Uh, makes some Giants fans a little nervous. Mm-hmm. But records are made to be broken. That's why they're there. Um. Steelers, they need help. They need a win next week. They need a Jacksonville win over Indy, and they need the Raiders and the Colts to not tie. So now that puts things into perspective with the Pittsburgh Steelers here. Do they make the playoffs? Do they have an outside shot of getting in? And what did you guys overall think of Ben Roethlisberger's final home game? Noah, we'll start with you on this one. Well, look, you know, first of all – Congratulations on on Ben Roethlisberger. You know he, he was able to win his final home home game. He's had a great career. Um, we've seen it this year. He's not the guy he used to be. I'd say it's it is about time for him to hang it up. And this game, you know, twenty four of forty six, one twenty three, a touchdown, interception. Not a very good game for him, but at least he was able to win the game. Najee Harris, like you said, absolutely went off. You know who else went off? The Pittsburgh defense. Nine sacks, ten tackles for loss, eleven pass deflections, eleven quarterback hits. When you put in a guy like Baker Mayfield, who, look, I got to take my L here. I defended him a bit earlier in the season, saying he might be better than people think he is. He sucks. But when you have him mm-hmm. under such pressure like that, 
it's going to make it even harder for him. And he throws two interceptions, complete below 50% of his passes. Nick Chubb, who I think is one of, you know, one of the better running backs in the league, only 12 carries for 58 yards. Um, skills positions, Donovan Peoples-Jones was their leading receiver. That should tell you about all you need to know about how their offense played in this game. But did they think? Did they make the playoffs? I don't think so. They need a ton of help. I mean, it's ridiculous how much they need to go their way. Um, congratulations to Mike Tomlin. Uh, Clinton get another non-losing season. Never had a losing season since he took over. Great coach, in my opinion. Um, I don't think they'll make the playoffs this year. I think it's going to be key what type of quarterback they get to replace Ben, whether they go into free agency or maybe they hope a guy like a Kenny Pickett, you know, slides in the draft a bit and maybe they can get him in the late first. It's going to be interesting to see. But as for Ben, I mean, he's a legend in the game. He's a slam dunk Hall of Famer, in my opinion, two-time Super Bowl champion. Uh, is he the guy that he used to be? Absolutely not. Um, you can see the age. It's clear as day. But, look, you can see what that moment meant, not just to him, but the Steelers fans. You know, he's getting that ovation after the game. Um, it was it set chills down my spine, spine honestly. I'm not even a, a Steelers fan, so um, it was nice to see that moment. And uh, it's also sad for me because the quarterbacks I've grown up watching basically my entire life, man, they're running out. The only ones really left are Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, and Matt Ryan. Other than that, I mean, Peyton Manning, Eli Manning. Um, Phil Rivers. Just, yeah, Philip Rivers yeah. as well. These guys are just becoming fewer and fewer. So, yeah. um, But that was a nice one. Stafford's moment. still there too. But yep, that's true. How, how could you forget Matt Stafford? I know, man. I, I'm just not <laughs> – I, I can't believe I forgot that, my guy. But um, yeah. he, he has a massive game this week as well. Yeah. Uh, James, Kyle, what do you want to go next on this one? Big Ben. A tremendous career. Oh, go ahead, James. Go ahead. I'll just go quick. Tremendous career. Um, it's sad to see him go. Uh, he's been weighing this option for a number of years now, I feel like. Um, I think him and Mike Tomlin have – the most winning uh, percentage of NFL history. I saw somewhere. I don't remember. They might have time. probably one of the best uh, quarterback, like, coach, winning records yeah. all time. 15 um, in a row will do that. Yeah, so other than that, uh, it, he, he's played a phenomenal career. Uh, great to see Pittsburgh. Concerned about Watt breaking Stuart Hans' record because, you know, as Australian fans, we don't want to see that broken. But that, that's all I had to say. I knew it was going to be quick. Russo, go. Yeah, tremendous <laughs> career by Ben Roethlisberger. Again, nothing flashy about the game. Uh, barely above 50% in completion percentage, 123 yards. I think even after the game, he was so thankful for Najee. He goes, Najee won the game for us, not me. But um, uh, a great career. Uh, nothing to say bad, really, about the guy. And two Super Bowl champions. And, but Tom, to answer your question about the playoffs, again, when you when you put the fate of your team's destination in uh, other people's hands, it, it doesn't really pan out for you. Um, based on how you've played this year, and especially being that one of those things is the Colts losing to the Jaguars, which I don't even know if that's possible. But, again, we've seen crazier things in the NFL this year. In fact, there was a stat that was put out. The Colts have not beaten the Jaguars, interestingly enough, at the Jaguars stadium since 2015. The Jaguars have been 6-0 and at home against the Colts since that point in time. So maybe a little luck on their side because I think that's the hardest thing to go their way. But they're 16-point favorites right now, the Colts are. So I don't necessarily see that panning out for Pittsburgh. But, again, great career for Ben Roethlisberger. And like James said as well, it seems like this has been the last couple of years that we've been talking about Ben hanging it up. But I think after last night's game and the way he was emotional with the broadcasts and reporters, I think that will be his final game at Heinz Field. And this upcoming week will be his final game as a starting NFL quarterback. 
Yeah, it was nice to see him do that little half victory lap there um, at the end. Walt is really hoping for a Patriots Bengals round one matchup. I think that Ooh. would be interesting. Uh, oh, well, I wouldn't. That's that's hot. I don't. I wouldn't want that if I'm New England. I'm I trying to think. That. Division winner or Tennessee would get the bye. Chiefs, yep. Bengals, and then the winner of the West. I'm sorry, the winner of the East. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the playoffs at this point, right? All matchups are tough. So I'm not so sure I'd want to play Buffalo either if I'm New England after seeing what they did to them. But who knows? Jacob Winters saying hello. What's up, Jacob? That's this guy I know very well from a, a sports group I admin in. He's been in my show a few times. Good buddy of mine. Unfortunately, he's an Ohio State fan, but, you oh. know, it is what it is. Yeah. Ohio State with a nice little comeback over Utah. Mm-hmm. Um, what a game. Yeah, Jay- what a game. Smith and Jigba, man. Yeah. <laughs> CJ Stroud. Olave and Wilson both opting out. Crazy stuff. But um, let's get into week 18. Kyle, I had a rebuttal on your last point, but it slipped my mind for some reason. And he also says, go Bucks." Uh, yes and no. <laughs> For talking about the Milwaukee Bucks, maybe. But, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, Ohio State Buckeyes. <clears throat> Ryan Days has done a tremendous job with that program. So uh, due to time's sake, we're going to each take a game or two that you have on your slate for week 18 that you're really excited about. Noah, we'll start with you. Um, what's your game of the week for week 18? Hmm. This is tough. There's some good matchups. I think Pittsburgh at Baltimore could be a decent game. Uh, San Fran at, at the Rams will be a very good game. But my game of the week, um, and it's not even close, honestly, the Chargers and the Raiders, man. It's basically a, uh, a a playoff game in Week 18. If the Colts win against the Jags, which I expect they will, these teams are going to be competing for the seventh seed. Whoever loses is out, and whoever wins is in. So I think it's going to be a great game. Flex to Sunday night football as well. Um, it is in Vegas, so that's a slight advantage for the Raiders. Um, I'd probably – the Raiders are hot right now. The Chargers have looked a bit iffy, in my opinion, in the past month or so. I mean, they, they've had a good result here and there, but they've also had results like losing to the Texans. Um, so, But I do think the Chargers probably have a more talented team, so I, I'd probably pick the Chargers to win a close game. But I think it's going to be a great game, two teams fighting for their playoff lives. I think it'll be very close, maybe even go to overtime. I just think the Chargers have a little bit more on their roster. That said, the Raiders have been hot, like we said earlier, winning three straight games lately. But, I mean, considering it's basically a a playoff game, whoever wins is in. Um, Easily my game of the week, in my opinion. I think for me, my game of the week, it's got to be the Rams versus the 49ers because we don't even know who's going to be the quarterback for the 49ers, at at least at this point in time. I I think Jimmy's still dealing with that UCL injury. And and Trey Lance, well, he looked good against – the Texans again the Texans of the Texans this is the Rams defense different type of team this is a Super Bowl caliber team but why I think it's gonna be so intriguing is because Matthew Stafford these last three weeks of football has been terrible like if the Rams were to lose these games the Rams were to have lost these games it would be solely on him throwing touchdowns to the other team uh, whether it was Chuck Clark against the Ravens or whether it was against Minnesota as well and then Seattle as well I think he has six interceptions in his last three games so they've they've been he's been very questionable. And again, while they don't necessarily need this win, the 49ers do to at least keep their playoff hopes alive. So I think this is this is the game of the week for me. I like it, James. What do you got? Well, 
Kyle, you took my game of the week. Uh, there's, there's not that many games of the week. I, not that I know. Games. Tom, I hope I don't steal yours. All, um, all good. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll bite the bullet and talk about the Cowboys and the Eagles. Um, okay. <laughs> no, go, go ahead. Even though uh, the, the, the boys are going to blow out the Eagles single-handedly, super easy. Um, it, it might be close at first, but the boys are just going to go on a, on a tangent. I would. This is going to be an interesting game to see how well Zeke plays and how well how Pollard 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 Pollard. Pollard. All right, all right, cool. Um, Plays considering they got shut down pretty much last week. Uh, Also, does does Dak um, is is Dak an actual? Is he going to be something in this game? Um, And then what what does Hurts have? knowing that they're making the playoffs, but also going up against a very heavy division rival, which possibly he could see in the playoffs. So it's really a tale of two stories in a sense. Will Dallas show up, destroy them, or will Dallas lose like Arizona? So that's my game. Yeah. All I know is best case scenario, Dallas stays at the four, Philly gets the seven, Eagles get bodied out with ease, and then the Cowboys – have to play the Cardinals in a stadium where Kyler Murray is undefeated twice within a, within a three-week span. That's what yep. I really love to see happen. Both NFC East teams eliminated in the first <clears> round. <throat> but my game of the week, obviously slim pickings here uh, based off of what everybody else took. I'm going to go Steelers-Ravens. John Harbaugh said Lamar Jackson has a chance to play this week. Both teams still in playoff contention. This is a big battle. Steelers with a chance to sweep. The Baltimore Ravens, Lamar has never beaten the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, at, at home or in general. I forget what the stat was, um, but the, the Steelers have had his number. So it's going to be interesting. Baltimore favored by five and a half despite their five-game skid. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if he's ready to go. Baltimore's been decimated with injuries this season. But as Fonz Falco would say, they're still in the mix. So mm-hmm. Big Ben against those Baltimore Ravens is my game of the week. Still an outside shot. One of them makes the playoffs and always a fun rivalry to watch. But at this time, quick reminder, our free giveaway starts this week. Um, by the way, I forgot to mention this size uh, of this free review and preview shirt that you can win. It is an XL gray review and preview long sleeve t-shirt. Um, all you have to do is share uh, one of our podcasts this week on your page and follow us on all of our social media platforms. You'll be entered in a chance to win this free preview and preview sports shirt. Um, and we, we will announce the winner on next week's show. So I'm really excited about that. Feeling a little jolly, giving the fans some love here. Rounding out the new year. And Brian McArdle, I'm so sorry I missed this comment. I can't find the list again, but Burrow is the first QB to ever throw for 300-plus yards and three touchdowns in a game twice against the Ravens' defense. Only three quarterbacks have done it once, Peyton Manning and Brady being two of those three. The other one, fun fact, Tom, the other one is actually Eli Manning. I remember that stat. Yes. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, you're right, because I remember Eli's first ever start against the Ravens. He was horrible. He was 4 of 18. I remember that exact number, too. It was awful. And then they brought Kurt Warner in late, but, oh, my God, man. It's a throwback, isn't it? How did 
man, Brian McArdle, he, you know, he, he knows how to pull some triggers, but <laughs> thank you for that uh, encouragement, Noah, boosting our ego, uh, our, not our ego, but our morale. No problem. But all right, ladies and gentlemen, all right, ooh, let's start that over. All right, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> next up, we have to clip this on YouTube, right? Uh, our next head coaching hot seat segment. So, Folks, obviously, there are several head coaches on the hot seat heading into the 2022 NFL season and how this is going to work. There are seven names. Going to reveal the graphic. First of two, what we'll do is we'll each state our opinion briefly. Each have 30 seconds to explain why that head coach should either be kept or fired. Uh, similar to what we did last year on the show. I don't know if you guys remember how we went about it, but um, here it is, the first four. Vic Fangio will be up first, head coach of the Denver Broncos in his third season now. He has yet to finish above 500 with still one game left. Denver has been eliminated from playoff contention. Noah, we will start with you. Should Vic Fangio stay or go? This is one I'm kind of 50-50 on when I was looking at the list. Um, I'd probably give him one more year. I think I want to see Denver try and get at least one more quarterback in under him. Uh, no disrespect to Teddy Bridgewater. He's just kind of a game manager. Drew Locke did not work out how they wanted. Get him another quarterback in there. I think they have some pieces to do decent. Uh, they've been in the mix a little bit this year and then unfortunately fell off towards the end. So I would give him one more season. Okay. Uh, James, what about you, Vic Fangio? I give him another season. Uh, I think this season they were played by COVID. I think I'm trying to remember, but other than that, I I give him one more season. We'll see how he does with um, an actual quarterback. Give him one more year. He's never had really a quarterback. He's always been a defensive minded guy. Came from Chicago as a defensive coordinator, and he's always put together really really good defenses. Uh, maybe. Get Pat Shermer some question marks with the offense while you're switching him between Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams. Just hand Javante the ball and he'll do some magic with it. But uh, yeah, give him another year. I think he needs a quarterback because Drew Locke, Teddy Bridgewater, uh, Brett Ripon, I think it was this week. Yeah. Not a formula for success. I'm with you. We're a clean sweep here to keep Vic, Fang- Vic Fangio. He has assembled a top two to three secondary in football. Uh, I watched the Giants-Denver game at MetLife week one, day after 9-11, 20-year anniversary. It was an awful performance by the Giants offensively, uh, partially due to Vic Fangio's elite defense. They've done a really good job. Josie Jewell, Bradley Chubb, those boys up front have done a great job for them this year. Javante Williams was a good draft pick at the running back position. They went out. They got Jerry Judy. In my opinion, that team is complete. They're just missing a quarterback and they may draft one this year. They'll probably be in contention to get one. I'm keeping Big Fangio. Next up, oh, boy. I, I don't know how each of us are going to fit this one into 30 seconds, but Joe Judge, uh, Noah, you're up first. Should Joe Judge stay or go? Oh, my God. See, this is really tough because, you know, I was feeling generous early, and then I look at this records again, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is pretty bad. Um <laughs> But because I'm a generous guy, um, I'll give him one more season. But if you don't do it with a, a new GM, you know, those two topics you have, 
you got to go. There's absolutely no excuses next year. There's barely any this season. Um, but I'll just be generous and say very barely you get one more year. All right. James, you're up next. That's it. He gets a half a year. With new GM, they make their edits and adjustments, and if it doesn't plan out halfway through the season or late into the season, I wouldn't be surprised. Not a Giants thing to do. Um, we saw what the, the Giants did do that at one point with somebody I'm not going to say, um, but I will. that might be a possibility, but right now he's staying. Kyle, I think we know the answer, but go ahead. Tom? Could Kadarius Tony and Kenny Galladay not having a touchdown this year should be a fireable enough offense in and of itself. But then losing to a team 29 to three with a coach that's getting fired next week should have done that enough. And then the rant says it all for itself, but so many more things to fill within 30 seconds. I don't have enough time, but I don't think Joe judge has been back. I think we've seen what we're going to get. I, I think the giants have seen and giants fans have seen what they're going to get out of him and the foundation and culture that he's talking about. Most important thing in the, NFL is getting wins, and he has not done that in two years. Joe Judge said when he first took the job as the Giants head coach, we're going to put a product on the field that the people in uh, of the city and region are going to be proud of right now. You know, I'm not really proud of that product on the field, but I'm keeping Joe Judge for one more year. He's had a lot of things working against him, including the New York media. Uh, they never wanted him hired as Giants head coach, so they're going to continue to push for him to be fired. Um, but I think he did a really good job in 2020. They were on the uphill climb and then 2021 hit team was decimated with injuries, but it it is no excuse because in 2020 you had COVID, you had virtual off season and Joe judge still managed to take a weak roster and give them six wins this year, a little bit better of a roster. In my opinion, yes, there were a lot of injuries at key positions, but Definitely underperforming coaching this year for Joe Judge for the most part, but I'm giving him one more year. All right, so 3-1 in favor of Judge to stay. Matt Rule is up next. One more game to improve upon his record from 2020. I mean, not really. It's pretty much back-to-back 5-11 and 11 seasons. He's won the same amount of games as Joe Judge. Stay or go, Noah. This is really tough. Um, if for me, I'd keep or um, what I want. I want them to keep Matt Rule, give him a ten-year extension. I would absolutely love that. What I think this is a guy who has an offensive background and is situ. So the guys he's thought were solutions at quarterback: Teddy Bridgewater, Cam Newton, Sam Darnold, and PJ Walker, who's an XFL quarterback. It's not good enough. Now they haven't had McCaffrey this season, and I believe in the rule of three. I think you should give a coach at least three years. So I'll give him one more year, but, man, he is really not good. I do not think he has been a good hire for them at all. James. He's gone, along with their whole quarterback system. Joke. <laughs> Love it. Kyle. Got to keep him. The guy's been openly admitted as a coach that they don't have a quarterback. And what does the GM and organization choose to do? Replace it with Cam Newton, who probably this will be his last season. An XFL quarterback and Sam Darnold. They tried the trade for Deshaun Watson, who, again, we know the the off-the-field issues, but when he's on the field, he's a top-three quarterback in football. They make that happen, different team. You're also in the same division as Tom Brady. And the two seasons that he's been there at the Panthers head coach, arguably the best weapon in football, Christian McCaffrey, has been injured for the entirety of both seasons. So keep him. Yeah. I agree. 
I, I think Matt Rule deserves another year to prove himself. Look, yeah, it's got to be better than this year. Similar situation as the Giants, really talented running back. That's not healthy uh, in a tougher division, the NFC South, that is, compared to the NFC East. I think Matt Rule and Joe Judge should be on the same timeline. For me, it takes three years to really judge a, a head coach, no pun, in, no pun intended there, to our guy Joe. But um, I think Matt Rule is safe. This one is an interesting name, a guy who made it all the way to the Super Bowl in 2019, lost it. Uh, Noah, I'm really sorry that I have to bring this up, but yep. uh, the ultimate collapse in the Super Bowl as offensive coordinator of the Atlanta Falcons back in 2016, uh, that was brutal. Then he goes and takes a head coaching job. He's 2-1 and one all-time in the playoffs, but Noah – Mm-hmm. Does Kyle Shanahan get a sixth year with the San Francisco 49ers? This is easy, man. You know, the other three I look at, I'm 50-50, not too strong. This is no doubt 100% keep Kyle Shanahan. Say what you want about the Super Bowl collapses, and I'm obviously very salty about it. Other than those, uh, fourth quarters of Super Bowls, the guy is an offensive play calling genius. His background in offensive play calling is years back, and he's always done very well, even with teams that weren't very talented. They have a young quarterback in Trey Lance that he can very well develop. They're in the playoff mix this season. Why would you fire this guy? They were only in the Super Bowl the year and a half, and then their team got decimated by injuries last year. No question, 100% keep him. James. He's gone. <laughs> the only oh. bright, yeah, he's gone. The only bright spot is the Super Bowl in this season making the playoffs. 6-10, 4-12, and 6-10. That's not a very great record. I don't like his coaching style. I don't like him on the sidelines. He looks like he's just there for all the glam and fortune in San Francisco, in my opinion. I mean, that's just me judging somebody, which I, Kyle and Tom can contest to. I normally never judge anybody on how they dress and look. So I'm just going out there. Um, I I just don't – when they brought Jimmy G over, you know, that was supposed to be something – he was supposed to turn into something good. And we – in my opinion, I never saw it what he was supposed to turn into good. So I think he's gone. I think he stays. I don't think he's ever been really a bad head coach. In fact, if the San Francisco 49ers were to fire him tomorrow, I'd suggest the Giants give him a call and see what can happen. But the guy is a good coach. And, you know, this was the guy that on draft night, he wanted to try and get Aaron Rodgers to the 49ers. If you guys remember, if that happened, they'd be probably the team the NFC we're talking about. If you've also heard about Tom Brady and his story and his path to the Buccaneers, he thought he was going to end up on the 49ers. That didn't happen. So the guy has tried to change his quarterback. Jimmy Garoppolo, I don't think he's really taking anywhere. That defense that they've assembled is awesome and championship caliber. The offensive scheme between Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, who's a beast, George Kittle, who's a beast when healthy, and the running back by committee system that they run, that's been kind of Kyle Shanahan's bread and butter, no matter where he's been. Running back by committee doesn't matter. They'll get you to win some games, and especially being on a playoff push right now, you don't fire that guy. Yeah, not firing Kyle Shanahan. However, look at Shanahan's first two years, record-wise, and look at Joe Judge's first two years, record-wise. Exact same record. So Joe Judge and Kyle Shanahan each won 10 games in their first two seasons as head coach. That shows the potential that these head coaches all could have, which is why, in my opinion, if a coach has never given you a reason to fire them, after two years, you always keep them for at least three seasons. Look what Shanahan did in 2019. He deserves to say, 
I know I just made another case for Joe Judge on a different head coach, but Kyle Shanahan, every running back has had success that has been in his offense for the San Francisco 49ers. We look at Raheem Moster. We look at Frank Gore. We look at Elijah Mitchell this year, who uh, almost ran for 1,000 yards. J. Michael Hasty, Jeff Wilson Jr., Trey Sir- The list goes on. Each running back has success. Unfortunately, he has a lot of injury-prone players in his lineup in George Kittle and Brandon Ayuk and Jimmy G. That's got to change. That's got to change. they got to find a way to keep those guys healthy. But uh, three to one, surprisingly, for Shanahan to stay. I thought we would have had a clean sweep there. Three more names, gentlemen. All right. Well, you pulled that up, Kyle. Quick thing. Uh, so since Shanahan went to the Super Bowl, Judge is going to go to the Super Bowl and lose. So get your hopes up, but don't get them up too high in the Super Bowl where I'm going to have to come over and make sure you're not on, you know, the ledge. James, if we, James, if Joe Judge is the head coach and the Giants win eight games next year, me and you were having a Super Bowl party. <laughs> All right. Deal. Time you can move on. I figured I'd just... All right. So... The last name on this list might surprise some people, but we're going to start from the top, of course. This name was also on the list last year. He was the only one from the list last year that is on it again. This actually, no, I'm wrong. Vic Fangio, so two. Uh, Matt Nagy, 12 and 4 in 2018, 0 1 in the playoffs, made the playoffs again in 2020, 0 1. Never finished below 500 until this season. This will be the first time he's done that. Noah, stay or go. This is another easy one, but I'm going the other way. They need to fire him, no doubt about it. You know, you take a guy in Justin Fields, he's your franchise guy, you trade up for him, and what do you put around him? A terrible offensive line, no receivers, um, running game is not that good either, defense is terrible, the team sucks. I'm amazed they've won six games. That has to be the biggest fluke I've seen at all. They should be a 3-14 and 14 team, in my opinion, with how he's absolutely destroyed this team the longer he's been there. Easy fire, they need to get someone new in there. James. Uh, taking from our buddy over at the brew party, he is gone. Yeah, he's gone without a doubt. Uh, again, to be honest, we want to talk about a guy that's never really have a solid quarterback. Everybody badgered Mitchell Trubisky out of Chicago, and he really wasn't that – he was never that great. I think the biggest thing against Mitchell Trubisky was that he was in the same class as Mahomes and Watson. That was the biggest neglect upon him, but that's more on Ryan Pace, not him. He's coached some solid wins. I don't think there's any way he's coming back. But my biggest thing why I think he's going to get fired is the way he handled the whole Justin Fields situation. I'm surprised that he wasn't fired after that Browns game earlier in the year. So, mm-hmm. But I think he's going to get fired for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like a Dan Reeves trend, right? Starts off hot, and then he's going downhill. I think Matt Nagy's as good as a gone. Not saying he'll never get another head coaching opportunity, but, you know, this guy – should not be coming back as head coach of the Chicago Bears next year, sadly. Um, next up, David Culley. Uh, you know, just looking for a name on the list here. Uh, I think Kyle and I, we both agreed that he should be on the list. But Houston, probably performing better than many thought they should. Noah, should David Culley stay or go? Absolutely should stay. Um, this is a team that wasn't expected to be good, and what do you know? They're not good. Deshaun Watson hasn't played all year. They've had you know long neck uh, Davis Mills and Tyrod Taylor at quarterback who aren't going to do much for you. Roster is terrible. Um, so you know the team is doing what they expected. No one expected Texans to be good. You expect them to win four, maybe five games, and that's what they're doing. So it would make absolutely no sense for them to fire him after one season. Uh, they're going to keep him. James, he stays. Um, 
surprising they honestly won four games this season. It's not his fault. He was just put in a bad situation this year. I think he stays. He's been he's with with really the exception of Brandon Cooks. He has he has nobody on the offensive or defensive side of the ball to work with. Again, not having the Sean Watson who, as I said earlier, understand the allegations off the field issues. But if he's playing, he's a top three quarterback in the NFL. He doesn't have that this year. Although Davis Mills has had some bright spots out of the four wins that he has, I think that's way above expectation. In my personal opinion, I thought they were going to be the worst team in football. But you know, playing the Jaguars twice and winning those games will going your way and going your fortune and then having a win against the Chargers, which was nice a couple weeks ago. And then having a win against Tennessee earlier in the season is nice. But the guy doesn't deserve to get fired for inheriting a terrible, terrible team on both sides of the ball. Yeah. If he gets fired, then Nick Casario has to look himself in the mirror and, you know, basically say, Hey, I screwed up your number one is GM hiring this guy. Right. Uh, he deserves to stay. They've probably overachieved in a lot of regards, winning four games already with a chance to win five. Uh, we will see what happens on Sunday. Not likely against the Titans, but Cully deserves another year or two. I think he deserves at least two more years uh, unless he wins like two games or less next year. Moving on. Final name. The resume is big and it's long. Pete Carroll, stay or go Noah. Oh, my God, this is so tough. Look, I think Seattle's about to go into rebuild. I do not think Russell Wilson will be there next season. He wants to be on a contender. Seattle is not that right now. Now, would I fire him? Absolutely not. He's had one bad season. You look at the at the resume before that, nine straight uh, winning seasons, eight of those double digits. He obviously won a Super Bowl, went to another. I would not fire him, but I think he will be fired. I think he's going to go to a different team. And if I'm a team like Chicago, I'm firing Matt Nagy, and I'm banging on Pete Carroll's door immediately because I still think he's a very good coach. But they're about to go into a rebuild, so I think they're going to get a new guy in there. James? I agree with no, unfortunately. I like Pete Carroll as a head coach on what he's done with the Seattle Seahawks team. Um, I think once they lose Russ, that's kind of the end of the era for both of them there. Um, it was unfortunate Pete Carroll didn't have – Defense like we have been used to in Seattle, which has hurt this season. Um, you know, know, I like that. I like that, him going to Chicago. I could see him make a big difference in Chicago. But he, unfortunately, he's gone. Well, Pete Carroll's under contract, guys. Pete Carroll's not going anywhere. But this is the difference. They're not going to fire him. I think he's going to want out because, no, I agree with you. If Russell Wilson leaves, he's not going to be – he's not going to be a guy that wants to be around for the rebuild no matter what the contract is offering him, especially because Pete Carroll has the resume put together where he can get that money elsewhere and yeah. be a part of a team that's on the up and up and not on a team that's going on the decline. Because if they lose Russell Wilson, that's it. That's really it with that squad. So I think that he's going to be gone not because they're going to fire him but because he's not going to want to be a part of a rebuild. Yeah. Uh, Pete Carroll is still on their contract, so he's definitely not going to get fired, in my opinion. Uh, I don't think he's the reason why they're 5-10 and 10 right now, but he's been a really bad manager of the draft as a head coach ever since he's really been there, right? I mean, his last five drafts, you really can't name any really notable players besides DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, maybe one other person. Uh, they only had like three or four draft picks this year. I think Pete Carroll... It's tough. He's been there for 12 years. I think 
he's probably just going to walk. I, I think they're going to part ways. Either I think Pete Carroll's going to resign. They're going to look for somebody new. They're not going to fire him. They can't. But I think he's on the outs in Seattle. I think his time there is done. He did what he needed to do. Um, you know, there comes a point in time where you just got to move on. And unfortunately, this is probably the time, especially if Russ leaves. But all right. So the two other names, John Gruden and Urban Meyer, were both either fired or resigned earlier this season. So those will be two head coach openings that we know will probably be open. Interestingly enough, Daryl Bevel is the interim head coach for Jacksonville, was in a similar spot last season as well. So we will see how that unfolds. But that was our head coaching hot seats segment. All right. Last segment of the evening. I'm really excited to talk about this, Noah. You're a big Georgia Bulldogs fan. It is national championship preview time. Obviously, your Georgia Bulldogs, they defeated the Michigan Wolverines. Thank goodness. Uh, 34 to 11 final score. Stetson Bennett, three touchdown passes over 300 yards in the, in the Orange Bowl. James Cook, the leading receiver, four catches, 112 yards from the running back position. And I love tight ends. Brock Bowers, give me some love. Five catches and a touchdown as a freshman. He's so uh, good. He puts Mike Mayer to bed. And I love Mike Mayer, but Brock Bowers, oh, my Lord. This Georgia Bulldogs team, they're dangerous. And de- defensively, McNamara, two interceptions. Hassan Haskins held to 39 yards on the ground. Aiden Hutchinson was not a factor. Congratulations, man. I mean, you guys really deserve that win. Oh, thanks, man. It was phenomenal, and I really wasn't expecting it. I thought it would be a close game. I thought both teams, you know, similar identities, focused on running the football. Neither has elite quarterbacks, but they play good defense. And, you know, to use Kyle's favorite term, we just went out there, absolutely boat raced them off the field. <laughs> and this is a team, this is a team in Michigan, you know, they only had one loss coming in this game. That only loss was to Michigan State, a very solid double-digit win team. And we just went off, and from start to finish, we dominated the line of scrimmage. You mentioned Aiden Hutchinson. Uh, Jamari Sawyer just had him on the ground the entire night. I mean, he was just basically invisible other than maybe, like, one play where he got a tackle for loss. For a guy that, you know, is mostly projected to be the number one pick, kept him in check, no problem. And you mentioned Stetson Bennett, 20-33-13, three touchdowns. He had a great game. Kenny McIntosh as well on a fake play, uh, 18-yard touchdown pass as well. But the main takeaway for me – uh, Tom, the running game. We had five running backs come in and just dominate. We had 5.4 yards per carry. Even our fifth-string running back, Dejon Edwards, came in, and he ripped off about a 30-yard run. I mean, whether it was Zamir White, James Cook, as you said, with the receiving <coughs> yards was phenomenal, had a 39-yard uh, receiving touchdown that basically broke the game open in the second half. Uh, but Ken Munton as well, Kenny McIntosh, who I mentioned earlier, just dominating. Like you said, Hassan Haskins, this is a guy that ripped off five touchdowns against Ohio State a few weeks ago. This is the team that obliterated Iowa in the championship game, and we held them to 3.54 yards per carry. McNamara, who I mentioned coming in the game, he was my concern. What's he going to do if he has to pass him back in the game? No touchdowns, two interceptions. I will say one positive for Michigan, I think J.J. McCarthy as a freshman quarterback, he looks to have a lot of promise. But I'm stunned. I did not think we would just go out and, you know, destroy him like we did, but we did. And uh, it was phenomenal. Jermaine Burton as well with a long touchdown. Brock Bowers, who's going to be key going in this matchup, Tom, because, you know, even though we got, you know, pretty convincingly beaten in the SC championship game, 
Brock Bowers was our best player. He was the reason our offense was moving down the field most of the time. It's going to be interesting to see what they do. Going in this rematch, uh, a few keys. Number one, um, you know, when you have a an offense you're going against who has a Heisman winner at quarterback, you know, <clears> stud, <throat> stud running back in Brian Robinson and, you know, freaks at wide receiver, maybe you shouldn't play a deep cover two zone and not put any pressure on the quarterback. It might be a good idea instead to, you know, play man, try and get some pressure on the quarterback and force him to make those plays instead of just letting him get these easy dump off passes and then run for 30 more yards. I remember the first game, you know, we had a little third and two. It's just like a five-yard in route to Jamison Williams. There's no one there to tackle him. He goes 80 yards for a touchdown. And their offense never looked back from there. So I think we can abandon the running game. We did that the first game. Stetson Bennett throwing 48 times is not a recipe for success. You want him to be able to rely on the running game and play action, use his mobility as well during in play action, um, play good defense, which they did not at all in the first game. Um, do I think they'll win? I think they'll play a lot better. I think they'll play them close. Look, I'm never going to pick my, te- my team to win a big game because I'm very superstitious. So I'm going to pick Alabama to win the game. But it's not going to be like the first game. I think they're going to take it much more seriously. I think they got a little caught off guard. You know, they heard everyone talking about in the media whatnot. They destroyed everyone the entire year and just thought they could go in and go through the motions. And they got absolutely boat raced in the second half. So um, <laughs> so I think they'll they'll see what happened during that game. They had a month off to prepare for it and look at all the media people talking about how bad they were. I think they'll be much more motivated. I think, you know, they'll lose a close game, but they could definitely win it. And I'm very excited. I hope to God they do because I cannot take another loss to Alabama, especially when Kirby Smart has had four double-digit leads against them. He's lost every single game. So this is big for his legacy as well. He needs to finally get that win over Nick Saban. I think it's going to be a good game. It'll be definitely a close game, way closer than last year's uh, championship game. Um, There's just some keys that, you know, stay balanced on offense, be able to get off the field on third down, and they'll have a good chance. Wow, you basically ran through the whole game plan to beat Alabama. Uh, Kyle, talk about this Alabama team. I know uh, you're pretty fond of Alabama. Uh, I remember when you no first time. started when you first started on Brian Marbach uh, and Chris Klimazewski's show, The Extra Point. That was the year Bama. They were the four seed and ended up winning it all or something like that. They defeated the Cincinnati Bearcats 27 to 6. Bryce Young, Brian Robinson. Brian Robinson at over 200 yards on the ground. Talk about the Crimson Tide team and what they bring to the table in this national championship game and how they trounced over Cincinnati. Well, people are talking about that as well, right? They're saying, oh, you know, it was, again, the score wasn't, even though it was a blowout, you know, people expected Alabama to, to blow them out even further more, uh, against Cincinnati. So they're saying, oh, maybe Georgia has hopes of that. No, they didn't blow them out more Cincinnati because they didn't have to. I think 200 yards on the run on the running game by Brian Robinson was enough. I think that while 181 yards passing isn't so flashy, Bryce Young throwing for three touchdowns, the job is said and done. What I will say about this Georgia team is that, again, I think they're going to keep it close in the first half. But, no, i got to use it against you two hours later. I think they're getting boat raced in that second half come the national championship. I think it's going to happen. I don't see – again, something that they took advantage of against Michigan was that Michigan could not cover the deep ball. Jermaine Burton for that 57-yard touchdown, James Cook for that 53-yard touchdown. They're not going to be able to do that against Alabama. Now, was I – I was shocked that Stetson had that in him to be as accurate in those clutch moments for as deep in those clutch moments as he was throwing. And I all the credit in the world, especially up against a great defense, because people 
people obviously for for obvious reasons they highlight Hutchinson, but uh, Ojabu, I believe that's uh, that's how you pronounce it, on the mm-hmm. other side as well, being able to contain him, that's huge for Georgia in that offensive line. But when you go up and you go face Alabama, you're not you're not doing that on their defense. You're not doing what you did to Michigan's defense, especially in the secondary to Alabama's defense. They're not going to give you a chance. And with Alabama's offensive line. I love Georgia's front line. You know, Nakabe Dean, he's been a name all season long, probably probably if not the best linebacker in all of football. I know that infamous play in the Michigan game where he literally ran from yep. across one side of the field to the other to tackle the uh, the receiver. And then with, uh, ja, I believe it's Jordan or Jared. I always mess it up. Jordan Davis, right? Yep, yep. Jordan, Jordan Davis. Davis. Love Jordan Davis. I hope he's a future giant. That would make me very happy, especially <laughs> on the interior. He needs some help. Love Jordan Davis. But I don't know how you contain this run game, and I don't know how you're going to contain the arm of Bryce Young. Again, they don't have all their healthy weapons. Amechi is a huge loss because he was in the SEC. Uh, he was in the SEC championship game. It's a huge loss. It's a big X factor. But Jameson Williams has stepped up. They have other guys that have stepped up in big opportunities. I just don't see it panning out so well for the Georgia Bulldogs in the second half. I think they keep it close and tight in the first half. But Nick Saban, again, we talk about Bill Belichick. You know, you don't bet against the Patriots and Bill Belichick. It's one of the hardest things in the world to bet against Nick Saban and the Alabama Crimson Tide. You just don't do it. Uh, James, anything you want to add? I mean, oh, my God. I mean, Alec Pierce was a non-factor in this game. Two catches for 17 yards. I mean – Obviously, Bryce Young winning the Heisman. Trey Sanders, who almost nobody's ever heard of before this past weekend, ran for 67 yards. Ja'Cory Brooks, John Betchy the third did not play, uh, I believe, you know, and Slade Bolden stepped up big. James, anything you want to add on these two colleges? Because every year, I mean, these two teams dominate the draft in the early rounds, and it just seems that these two teams are always in the mix come playoff time. Yeah, they're always in the mix, and they always dominate the draft. They, they're just a, they're two top. I mean, they're two top schools that pretty much dominate everything football related, um, which is good to see. But you always like to see somebody new. Um, but I, I really got nothing much else to add. Kyle and Noah said it perfectly, so I'm not going to start reiterating, changing it up. So, yeah, yeah. Um, definitely agree. It's going to be interesting to see how this unfolds. Monday night, January 10th, at Lucas Oil Stadium, Georgia Bulldogs favored by three. Number three seeded Bulldogs, number one seeded Crimson Tide. Briefly, gentlemen, because uh, we have to sign off in just a couple moments, make your pick for this game and give us a final score prediction. Um, you know, Take the heat off of Noah for a minute and start with you, James. We're going to work our way counterclockwise. So Noah will go last. James, Kyle, myself, and then Noah will go. So, James, who do you got? Georgia. Twenty-seven, twenty-one. Oh, okay. Kyle? Going Bama. 45 to 27. All right. Well, oh, I forgot I'm next. Uh, (laughs) Georgia defensively has had such a good season. I mean, 
Yeah, they met Bama in the SEC title game. They gave up 41 points. Um, they looked really good against Cincinnati. I really want to pick Georgia in this game, but I'm with Kyle here. I'm going to go Alabama. I'll be rooting for Georgia, but I'm going to go Alabama by a final score of 31 to 28 market. Uh, Bryce Young has a phenomenal game. Georgia Bulldogs defense hangs in tough, but uh, I'm looking at Bryce Young, Stetson Bennett. I trust Young a little bit more than Bennett at this time. Noah? Uh, this is really tough. I think for the most part, the teams are pretty equal in talent. You look at the recruiting in the past few seasons. I, you know, they're close. You can say Alabama is a little better, but they're definitely comparable. I think where it's not comparable, number one head coach, uh, Nick Saban is the greatest college coach of all time. Kirby Smart is a very good coach, but like I said, in the biggest moments, he struggled and choked a lot of games away. And at quarterback, I love Stetson Bennett, don't get me wrong, defending him against a lot of UGA fans that have been bashing him. But he's no Bryce Young. Bryce Young's a Heisman Trophy winner for a reason. So it's going to be tough. I think our defense, you know, uh, Kyle mentioned guys like Kobe Dean, Jordan Davis. I'd also throw in, you know, secondary guys like Lewis Seen, Christopher Smith. They need to try and play much better coverage than they did the first game because if they don't, they're going to get boat raced. Um, but I'm going to pick Alabama to win it barely. I'm going to go Alabama 35 georgia 31 but please god prove me wrong win this game so a grown man can cry and uh, i'll be very happy if i'm wrong crying Hello. happy tears happy yes tears. yes not not miserable tears which is what it is 90 percent of the time with the teams i support jacob witters agrees 28 17 and crazy stuff but noah Wanted to thank you so much for joining us here tonight. I know it's been a lot of fun having you on. As always, one of our top fans always commenting every single week. So we figured why not start off 2022 with you uh, and really appreciate you joining us. Where can people find your show, College Football Show, The Sweet Tea Show on the Sportsbox Network? Yeah, so like you said, over in the sports box, Friday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern, my, me and my buddy Garth Michael Patrick, big Florida fan, um, you know, the Sweet Tea Show, like you said, we talk mostly college football. We talk NFL every now and then and some other things, but um, we specialized about, I'd say, two months ago to be pretty much exclusive college football, and I think that was a great move for us. So obviously, you know, this week we'll be discussing the championship game. Um, unfortunately, I lost I lost a bet basically to Garth on our college pick em, um because, you know, teams like Oklahoma, Oregon, Al- Auburn decided to be bums and let me down when I pick them to win games. So I got to forfeit. I got to write an essay this week on why I think Billy Napier could, can be a, a successful head coach for Florida. So not looking forward to that. But it should be a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun being on here with you guys as well. It always is. Um, you know, everyone on here as well as Hank when I was on his baseball show. Just a ton of great people over here do a lot of great work. Like you said, I like to comment on the shows as much as I possibly can. Review and preview in sports box, man. You know, great friends of each other, and uh, it's not stopping anytime soon. Absolutely, Noah. Well, we thank you so much for joining us. Make sure to go check him out on the Sports Box. Great people over there. Noah Diabler, Garth Michael Patrick, Brian Atart, Mike Aletta. The list goes on. Thank you so much, Noah. Have a good one. Thanks, everyone. Uh, have a great night. You too, man. That was Noah Dibler from the Sports Box, guys. Well, we've reached the end point of our show now. Uh, appreciate everybody watching tonight. First show of 2022 in the books. Final thoughts? Good way to end the new year, fellas. Good show.
Yeah. Good show. Got a lot of comments tonight, which is great hearing from all our viewers. Um, Touch on a lot of different things. I liked it. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you have a 20 minute argument about the giants every week, your shows are always going to run long. That's how it is. You know, it's all, it's all in good fun, but, uh, folks, make sure to go check us out on all of our social media platforms. Um, and if you want more information on our free giveaway, make sure to message us. You can win a free briefing preview, long sleeve t-shirt. It's all free. All you have to do is share tonight's show on your Facebook page. Subscribe to us on all social media platforms. That's it. Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. Very simple. Your name will be entered. I'll be keeping track of the metrics. Uh, No review and preview members could win. It has to be a non-review and preview member. So sorry, guys, if you're watching. But on behalf of Kyle Russo, James Montefusco, I'm Tom Scavetta saying so long. Tune in Thursday to Big Blue Avenue at 7 p.m. Hank and I will be back with a special guest. Looking forward to it. All right, folks, have a good one. Enjoy week 18, and we'll see you next week.